This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. How fun was Christmas as a kid? I mean, that's even an expression, right? Happier than a kid on Christmas or whatever. But man, once you become an adult, those responsibilities just start piling up. You got to start worrying about time off and how much time you're going to work and when the kids are in school and when they're out of school and how we're traveling here and what hotel we're staying at and do we need a flight and it gets expensive. And then you've got all the extra added stress of, oh, I got to hang this light and I got to put up this tree and then we got to wrap the presents. But most importantly, the financial stress of we got to buy all of these presents. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Hurry to save with Conrad.com. We want to make sure that you hit 2022 the way you planned on ahead of the game. Don't go overspend and kick the can down the road and make it one of your new year's resolutions next year where you say, well, I guess this year I'm going to try to get out of debt and save money. Do it right now. All the experts are predicting that interest rates are going to rise next year. Don't take my word for it. Throw it in your Google machine. But here's what's happened in the last two years. All of a sudden your house is probably worth more than ever. Why not use some of your newfound equity to get the best interest rate you've ever had while we've still got them. Get rid of your PMI. That in and of itself might save you two or 300 bucks. And at the same time, get rid of all your credit card debt. Just like that. If you can hear my voice and you're in a 30 year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, if you've got a car loan, you owe it to yourself to just get a quick quote right now at savewithconrad.com. Oh, and how's this for starters? Your single biggest bill, you know, your house payment, you won't have to make that in December or January. You're done until February 1st. You get a two-month break from your single biggest bill right here during the holidays. That's going to get you the cash you need to not put Christmas on a credit card. And that credit card debt, it'll be gone forever thanks to SaveWithConrad.com. Go read some of our five-star reviews all for yourself. Type this into your browser right now, C-O-N-R-A-D Reviews.com conradreviews.com see what our actual customers are saying about the process and their experience it's almost five stars across the board and then hurry to savewithconrad.com get yourself a quick quote find out how much money you can save for free we're routinely helping our podcast listeners save five six seven even eight hundred bucks a month heck the other day we helped a guy save more than eleven hundred dollars a month i want to be clear he didn't save one thousand one hundred dollars one time He's saving it this month, next month, the month after that, all because he went to save with Conrad.com and you can do it too. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you some money, we won't waste your time. But right here during the holidays, what are you waiting for? Make this the best Christmas ever. Let's be like kids on Christmas and not have the financial stress of worrying about what are we going to do? You're going to get out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments than you ever thought possible because you went to save with conrad.com nmls number six five zero eight four equal housing lender at save with conrad.com listen up mucker feathers if you just can't get enough of 83 weeks we've got tons more waiting for you over at adfreeshows.com 
bonus episodes, all the archives with zero, yes, I said zero ads. Plus, we've got interactive events and experiences with yours truly. You can ask me anything, chat one-on-one during our live Locked and Loaded events. And if you joined us in Chicago this year for Top Guy Weekend, we got to hang out the entire freaking weekend, and it was a blast. I can't wait for Top Guy Weekend 2022. Hey, you want to hear me rip Greg Gagne, Vince Russo, and others a new one on our popular Eric Fires Back series? I eviscerate Twitter trolls on mean tweet receipts, plus bonus watch-alongs and tons more. Do yourself a favor right now. Google the internet, and you won't find a better value in all of wrestling than over at adfreeshows.com. You not only get 83 weeks, but all of Conrad Thompson's podcasts early and ad-free and on video for as low as $9 a month. Come on, man. You can't beat it. Join the family today at adfreeshows.com. Oh, and hey, Eric, I forgot to mention, we've got some big stuff going down. Uh, things are changing. Things are getting back to normal, I guess a little bit, but the Royal rumble is in St. Louis at the end of January. And we decided let's make it a party. Let's make it a destination city. Let's let Eric Bischoff and Jeff Jarrett get together. We're calling it the hall of fame super show. And it's happening on Saturday, January 29th, right there in St. Louis at the South Broadway athletic club. Eric, I think this is where Randy Orton may have had some of his very first matches. And now you and Jeff are putting the band back together with stories we can't tell on the podcast. Are you pumped, nervous, anxious, excited? Where are you at on this? Oh man, I'm always excited to get out there in front of a live crowd. It just changes everything for me. I mean, this is fun. What we do here is fun. I enjoy the hell out of it. Every time I do it, I go back into the house and Mrs. B's, you know, she says, oh, so how did it go? I said, it was fantastic. It was so much fun. Um, most of the time I'm right. Every once in a while it's questionable, but get in front of a live crowd. Nothing, nothing gets me more excited. Tickets are on sale right now at Eric and Jeff uh, I don't know that you've heard this or not, Eric, but, uh, Jeff says that we've got that out of order and it should be Jeff and Eric live.com, but you can confirm. Oh, I, oh it just started a whole, uh, whole distur- shit disturbing is what Jeff, Jared is really good at. Uh, it's number one. It shouldn't be a question because St. Louis is a major market. I'm yes. over in major markets. This is not like some, you know, down the road from the fairgrounds in Tennessee kind of thing. This is Eric Bischoff. This is the NWO. This is Monday Nitro. Would speak? This is the shit right here. Not some phony guitar playing. You know, want to be country music star? You know, dressed like a Chippendales dancer. This is big time here. Big time. I'm glad we've put a button on it. By the way, we'll be able to judge based on the number of t-shirts and the association with those t-shirts to the, uh, two guys up on stage. We'll see who's more over. (laughs) Yes, we will. But, uh, at least for the purposes of our story, it's Eric and Jeff live.com. Let me explain. These guys are going to be discussing the greatness of WCW in 96, 97. They'll get into the behind the scenes role that Jerry Jarrett played or didn't play in WCW why Jeff came to WCW originally in 96, why he left a year later in 97. And of course, what the hell happened to WCW after October 99. Plus there's all the, uh, the opinions and stories about TNA that we can't really even talk about here on the podcast. And I think I'm going to get the guys to spill their beans about the most recent runs in WWE, 
all the topics they typically avoid on the podcast for political reasons, but we won't be recording this. This is going to be for the house only, but maybe best of all, ask them anything you want. Is Jeff Jarrett starting his own promotion? What does Eric really think of AEW? Is Jeff even on speaking terms with Dixie? It's going to be fun. Buckle up doors open at two o'clock for VIP. That's where you get early seating, the best seats in the house. You get a special piece of swag. You can't buy anywhere else. You'll get your picture with both Jeff Jarrett and Eric Bischoff, an autographed date by 10. Plus both guys will sign any item of your choosing that starts at 2 PM. The show starts at three. You'll be done by five. And the show is only 2.4 miles from where they're holding the Royal rumble. So why not make a day of it? We're going to have concessions, including alcohol. So it's going to be a great time, but you'll be out of there an hour and a half before the pre-show starts. And it's just 2.4 miles away. So let's make the most of it. Let's make this the best Royal rumble ever. Hurry over to Eric and Jeff This should be a lot of fun, dude. I can't wait. I can't wait. And what a, what a way to set up your Royal rumble experience, right? Yeah. A little bit of a battle, I mean, some scrapping. Come on, step on in, talk to a guy who's been involved in them. You know, I'm assuming Jeff, Jeff Jarrett has uh, any number of times. Uh, perfect. Can't wait. And by the way, Eric Bischoff started the NWO and Jeff Jarrett killed it all that and more <laughs> over at <laughs> Eric and Jeff live.com St. Louis for coming to see you. Tickets are on sale right now. Hurry January 29th, Saturday, Jeff and Eric live. Wait, what am I doing? Eric and Jeff live.com. Yeah. My apologies. Got to get it together. Eric and Jeff live.com. We'll see you on January 29th. It's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I was blown away this morning. No, literally. I was blown away this morning. I got up to 60 mile an hour winds. Whoa. I mean, I I went to sleep last night. I went to bed early, too, you know, because whenever I know I'm going to do a podcast with you, I want to make sure you don't have anything to drink, you know, 24 hours before I get at least seven or eight hours sleep. I eat right, you know, right before I go to bed. I have brain food. I mean, I do all these things to get ready for the show because it's such an important thing for me. And I have so much fun doing it. But I went to bed last night. It was about 830. And usually I fall asleep within about a minute and a half tops, two minutes. And I felt like I was sleeping in a train tunnel. The wind was so, so loud and so strong. And it's going to be that way for about another 18 hours, according to my weather app. But yeah, I walked outside because the, you know, my office slash bunkhouse is on the property, but it's about 30 yards from the main house. I turned around the corner because the wind is blowing from the north. I turned around the corner and it walked into the wind and I, I, 
I could have easily been in Utah by now, but I wouldn't have had something to grab onto. Wow. Well, I don't know what I was expecting. Uh, when you said blown away this morning, I thought there was news. No, physically, we're going to have to tie your ass down out there. Oh, really? It's funny. My dog, you know, she had to go out and take a dump this morning, right? She goes about 20 yards from the from the back of the house. And she's trying to take the dump and the wind is blowing her over. It was it was crazy. <laughs> Well, I'm, uh, I'm excited that you and I are getting together today because we've got some big stuff to talk about uh, on our calendar today is ravishing Rick rude and mm. Rick rude is in my opinion, uh, maybe, uh, one of my favorite heels of all time. You know, I was going to say one of the greatest heels of all time, but I guess that's debatable, but to me, buddy, he's right at the top of the list. And, uh, as we're talking. Tomorrow, or as the show drops tomorrow, this Tuesday, December 7th would have been his birthday. Of course, unfortunately we lost him in April of 99 and there's a lot to unpack about Rick rude. I don't think we can even get all of this into one episode, but I don't think that he gets enough discussion in the modern era. You know, people always talk about, you know, who was the greatest wrestler to never win a world title. And I guess we could say that the. The big gold belt when he carried it was the world title, but really it was the international championship. They had another world title in WCW at the time, but in my mind, he's right up there at the top of the list with the all-time great heels like Mr. Perfect and Ted DiBiase. And he could give you a great match. He could give you a great promo, but he just had a presence about him. Did he not, Eric? He did. And Rick's presence, the way he carried himself, I'm not going to say he lived his character, but there wasn't a lot of difference between the Rick you'd see on camera and the Rick you'd see backstage. You know, on camera, obviously, the volume was turned up a little bit on that character, but that same presence, as you, you know, characterize it as, that same presence, that charisma, that attitude, it was like a... a you know, it was, you could almost see it. It was an aura about him. And uh, he was a very interesting cat for sure. Well, we're going to do our best to talk about him today. Uh, I don't think we can get through his entire career and we're not even really going to try, but maybe this will wind up being part one. We'll see how it goes because I, I just love talking about Rick Rude and his story, at least with you started way back in 1991. You at the time are front and center as an announcer for the debut uh, and then the sting title switch, this is years before you're quote unquote in power. You're just happy to have a Jersey as I think you used to call it a C string announcer. Yep. Uh, but Halloween havoc 1991, we would see the Halloween phantom pin pin Tom zinc in like a, a minute and 26 seconds. But then later there's the big interview with Paulie dangerously and Rick rude is going to unmask as the Halloween phantom and reveal he's Rick rude. And then there's Medusa as well. And what do you remember about that night? The excitement of Rick rude, who, when we had last seen him was working on top with the ultimate warrior, the WWF champion, and had a great run with warrior there, obviously maybe not so happy with the way things turned out creatively or financially. He's here now in WCW. Do you remember that moment when, when he, uh, returns to WCW? I do. I, I do. And what's interesting is you, you know, describe that so vividly. Um, 
you know, when I got to WCW, I'd only been there a couple months, right? When, when Rouge showed up, if that. So everything was new to me. Yeah. Everything is like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, because you got to remember where I came from. You know, <laughs> the studio that I've seen in your offices where Dave Silver works, we're not that much of a step down to the studio that we were working out of in AWA. I mean, it was bare bones. So for me, getting to WCW, first of all, I'm in the CNN Center. This is this Ted Turner. I'm, he owns CNN. He owns WCW, and I'm going to work there. I mean, it was such an overwhelmingly cool part of my life. <clears throat> everything I looked at, everything I touched felt brand new to me. And I had that kind of uh, level of excitement and enthusiasm. I really hadn't been watching WWE during that. I mean, I'd drop in and out, but I was at that point in my life, I, I, I wasn't a wrestling fan for the sake of being a wrestling fan. I was a professional in the wrestling business who happened to have been a fan still am to a degree, but it wasn't my priority. So <clears throat> I really wasn't as excited about, Rick Rude coming in because of where he came from, because I wasn't really paying attention to where he was at, you know, in WWF at the time. But I had known Rick before I got to work for WCW. I'd known Rick right out of high school. So he was somebody that I was very familiar with on a different, I was more familiar with him, you know, because he grew up, you know, in the area that I lived and we had some mutual friends and all, and he's a little bit of a legend. Um, <clears throat> I was more excited about that than I was because of where he was positioned on the card. And the fact that Rick was coming in at this stage in my relationship with WCW, where fucking everything was exciting to me. I could go throw paper in a trash and go, oh, wow, that's a WCW trash can. And Ted Turner owns that. Oh, wow, I work for that guy. That's kind of where my head was at. And then to have Rick come in, somebody that I knew, just kind of blended it all together and made it even more exciting. One of the more really exciting things that happened, not too long after he's a part of the program here with WCW. And I said, returning to WCW, I guess I should add some context to that. He had been a part of Jim Crockett promotions and was actually a tag champ when he left in 87. And of course, then he became ravishing with the whole airbrush tights and the, the, the part of the Heenan family and became intercontinental champion and had some main events with the ultimate warrior. And now he's back, but the clash of the champions that happened just a few weeks after we learned that Rick Rude was here at Halloween Havoc. Uh, that goes down, and this is where they had that that really impressive attack where Medusa was essentially distracting Sting. Lex Luger comes out and uh, makes the attack. Now Sting is going to be taken to uh, a medical center, and you're doing the phone interview. And, of course, then there's the hurry and the worry of, Will Sting make it back to the building to defend his United States title? He does make it back, uh, but the old spirit of 76 didn't work out. Rick Rude beats him four minutes and 50 seconds to become the U.S. champion. It's a three-star match, but the angle was so well-received. Steve Beverly and Matt Watch wrote, the Sting-Rude storyline was well-carved out, and while it cut into their being able to have a top-quality match, Sting sold the leg really well. And the setup with Luger being the box sender set up two things that allowed Sting to lose the U.S. belt without being destroyed. And it opens the door for Luger versus Sting at Wrestle War at the Taj Mahal in February. Holly was nothing short of sensational, particularly when he ripped the coat off and said, my good friend, Jim Hurd, it nearly knocked me off the couch. The photography on this show was excellent. And the shots of the ambulance leaving and returning were on par with the WWF. 
plus the Eric Bischoff graphic and telephone report gave the angle a news quality. I happened to like it was either the hottest crowd since the first clash or the audio work was much better. Even though hardcores will balk this clash proved they don't need Ric Flair to have an exciting telecast. Ooh, <clears throat> memorable I, moment. What do you remember being a part of this? First of all, where is Steve Beverly? You know, he's like out of wrestling completely. Isn't that weird that you had a That's guy a shame who, because that was a really well written. Now, obviously it was complimentary. So, you know, people are going to assume I only sure. like it because it's complimentary, but it, it did a really great job of breaking that scene down and yep. giving an opinion as to why it worked and, and what Mr. Beverly uh, enjoyed about it. I, cause I could picture it in my head as you're reading that very cool. And somebody should find Steve Beverly and get him back into wrestling again. Cause he'd be a good contributor over at freeshows.com <laughs> plug. Uh, what do I, I remember about it? First of all, I, I don't really, I mean, I remember it happening, but nothing stands out of my mind as being, um, the most exciting part of it. I, I thought the most interesting part of it, aside from the storyline and how Dusty did such a phenomenal, phenomenal job setting up the chess pieces for what's going to happen in the next pay-per-view or whatever, the way you described it. Uh, but I did find the use of the graphic, the news like graphic interesting. And partly because I was still, so enamored with the whole CNN thing, you know, it was a big deal. When you think about Ted Turner and global news and cable, Ted Turner was such a pioneer and nothing was more of a visionary a manifestation of his, of his um, vision than CNN. Right. So the fact that we were kind of known for CNN and now we're using a news like element that felt authentic. I thought that was really interesting because I had certainly not, been a part of anything like that before at least nothing that was that well done you know run backstage and see how somebody is that's a different deal yeah this was pretty cool today's episode is brought to you by geico do you own or rent your home sure you do and i bet it can be hard work but you know what's easy bundling policies with geico geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance along with your auto policy it's a good thing too because you already have so much to do around the house Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. By the way, here's where WCW was at the time. The card itself drew a sellout, 6,922 fans. Fans were turned away at the door. Uh, Dave Meltzer would say the actual paid attendance was somewhere between four and 5,000 but they could have sold them all out since we said they're, they're turning folks away. And I know that a lot of times people like to look in this era of WCW and talk about how bad things were. Oh, business was down and what have you. And in 1991, they're not totally wrong. It was not exactly booming, but let me just add context to that. This clash of the champions where we would see Rick rude become the U S champ gets a 4.3 rating. Now, what does that mean back then? It means they were in 2,460,000 homes. Now that again, doesn't sound like a ton to some of our listeners who keep up with ratings these days, but I want to add the context. When you hear 2 million now, they're saying 2 million people, not 2 million homes. And most of these homes are not just single dudes watching TV by themselves. So 2.4 million homes means a lot more people 
than what is watching wrestling now. Do you know what the factor is? I, you know, I, I keep thinking about going back and trying to find that, but I remember Nielsen published, I wouldn't expect you. I mean, if you know, you're going to just blow me out of my chair. Um, but I think the last time I looked, it was like 1.3 or 1.6. I can't remember which one. In other words, instead of there being one person sitting in front of the television in a single home, the average was like 1.3 or 1.6. So pick a number in between, and that's probably a pretty good factor um, to estimate comparable viewership. So process that. We're we're probably talking, you know, around 3 million folks watching. As opposed to 2 million. And we're saying, oh, business is down. It's really not. And by the way, uh, the main event, well, I guess it's not the main event. In my mind, the main event was Sting and uh, and Rick Rude here. They got a 4.7 for that. So that's 2.7 million homes. So it's a strong number with a strong angle. And a lot of this is, is of course, because Sting is a superstar and everyone loves Sting. But now here is this recognizable established heel who was a star on the other channel. And let's not forget just the parallels of sting and the ultimate warrior coming up with Rick Bassman together, going to Jerry Jarrett together, going to Watts together, both using paint, both splitting, both going their own way and both becoming world champs, one in the NWA and one in the WWF in 1990. And now here's the ultimate warriors old rival coming to take on the ultimate warriors old buddy. It's pretty cool. Uh, I want to mention, I think Rick Rude had the longest run with the United States championship that anybody had. He really did make it his title, but ultimately he winds up injuring his neck towards the end of 1992 in the middle of his long run as us champ. So he has to vacate the title. He's out for a few months and right before he comes back. Oh, easy. E is named executive producer of WCW programming. So we talked about, you know, when Rude's coming in. You had barely beaten him there as a C-string announcer. Now he's coming back from injury after this long U.S. title run, and now you're getting a little bit of power for yourself. Did you have in that gap, you know, between we'll call it late '91 and, and, and late '92, early '93? How had your interactions with Rick been? I mean, the only. The only thing I can remember, and it's a little, it's a little while ago now, but sure. Jen, on the set, please. Um, my interactions with Rick were purely social backstage. I really didn't have, because again, people need to remember if we haven't talked about that. I don't think we've talked about this in a long time. When I was first made executive producer, I had very limited control of anything. Post-production, Yes. Things like the graphics that we saw on screen, the type of lighting packages we would use, audio issues, things like that. Things that were really hands-on on the just the television side of things. I wasn't involved in creative at all. I wasn't involved in talent acquisition at all. I wasn't even I wasn't even in those meetings and my opinion was very rarely asked when it came to things like creative or talent acquisition in and around that period of time that changed going forward. So I didn't really have much to talk to Rick about other than, you know, 
Hey, have you seen this guy? Hey, have you talked to Wayne Bloom? Hey, have you seen, have you seen Norton lately? You know, been out to the Lord Fletcher's in Lake Minnetonka. Oh, you know, that kind of trivial nonsense. Um, but just friendly social conversation. Let's, uh, let's mention when he comes back, there are some big plans. Uh, he's going to return and challenge Dustin Rhodes for the U.S. title. Um, and then before you know it, Meltzer is going to report the original plan with Bill Watts running things was to have flair versus rude at the June clash. Of course, plans change, pal. Um, I also want to mention he, he made an appearance on the Howard Stern show, uh, April 9th, 1993. He had Fred, the elephant boy there, who was a, a big wrestling fan. And this gives them an opportunity to talk about wrestling in a more tongue in cheek fashion. As a kid, I loved seeing Rick rude on Arsenio hall. How did you think he did? as a representative of professional wrestling and world championship wrestling in the media. Well, I didn't really have to go back and look at it to, to give you a, a better answer, but Rick, I'll just say this generally, I, I, Rick was really good when Rick was being Rick, you know, and he, and he, and, and again, the daylight between the real Rick rude and the character, Rick rude. I mean, you could still see a glimmer of light there. There was still some difference, but it wasn't hard for Rick to just turn up the volume and be very comfortable doing it without feeling like he's out there doing a wrestling promo. I mean, he has, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why Rick Rude is, is a guy that we're still talking about and, and, and respect to this day. He had an amazing physique. He was strong as an ox, you know, tougher than nails, had the right attitude, nails the hardware, not nails the character. I mean, although that would have been a hell of a matchup back in the day, wouldn't it? Woo, doggy. Two Minnesota guys beating the hell out of each other. <laughs> Get the ticket. Um, but Rick was so comfortable, you know, in just about any environment. I wasn't worried about it. Nothing really stands out about it to me. So, therefore, it must have been pretty decent. I want to mention uh, they even did an article in the Atlanta journal constitution, which, uh, I believe came out, uh, on, uh, May 22nd. And the title of the article was pro wrestlers can tell some stories about the dangers of overzealous fans. And Rick Rude is talking about how somebody tried to stab him. They threw oh. a blade, uh, at him and, and it barely missed his body, uh, because he was wearing this, this robe and, and the robe took the deal. But still, he would be commenting or, or commenting here. Not a day goes by that I go out and don't hear someone scream something. People can feel pretty safe on the other side of the barrier. You can walk to the zoo and antagonize the gorilla. But as long as you know he's in a cage, you're all right. The problem is some people get carried away with the character. I hate to disillusion anybody, but we're people too. And, uh, the article would say it's been a relatively quiet three years for rude who saw a fan leap on his back in the ring before a 15 man lumberjack match in St. Louis said rude. I go down and take my robe off to my music before my music ended. Someone jumped on my back. I thought it was another wrestler. It turned out it was a fan. If he would have had a knife, I'm sure it would have been all over me. I got hit a number of times, but the guy really didn't do any damage. Police asked him in the back why he did it. And he said he was mad because his girlfriend was cheering for me and he was jealous. <laughs> this is hilarious. And of course he played into this a lot with his airbrush tights, uh, on, on one pair, he had Michelle Pfeiffer 
quoted as saying he's so bad and Kirstie Alley saying he's so big and Gina Davis saying he's so strong and Christina Applegate saying, I want him and Kim Basinger saying, I miss him. And Cindy Crawford saying, I need him. How awesome is that? It's hilarious. It's great. (laughs) This character is a 10 out of 10, man. Oh, I forgot all about that. (laughs) Ah, I love that. Nobody's ever done that before or since. So that's, that's a hall of fame idea. If WWE is ever going to create another division, I guess, into the WWE hall of fame ceremony, it should be a WWE hall of fame gimmick. And that would have to be the first gimmick inaugurated. That's awesome. Uh, of course, he's going to have uh, an interesting match with Dustin Rhodes for the U.S. title. They film it for Worldwide. Uh, both of the guys get their shoulder up, but there's two referees who are each counting the other down. But Rick Rude winds up leaving with the belt. We get to Slamboree, and we see Rude team with Paul Orndorff to take on Dustin Rhodes and Kensuke Sasaki. Uh, it's only a two-star affair. Um, it kind of is what it is. They had a strange flair for the gold segment because Rick Root is the guest and he's going to get along great on the set with flair and Arn Anderson. And, uh, it's noted, it came off as if either flair was going heel or rude was going face their relationship at times was a little uh, hokey pokey, uh, Rick flair and Rick rude. Can you elaborate on that? I don't know why, you know, I don't know what the inciting incident was what's what what kicked it off but i was i ended up getting caught up kind of in the middle of it on more than one occasion um and it was it was pretty serious but i i really never learned you know i mean i heard i probably heard versions of what started i don't remember what they were because nothing was ever definitive but I never talked to Rick about that. And I never, uh, and I, well, either Rick Rude or flair, I don't know what started it, but it was, it was ugly. It was, I mean, there was one point where I had to, and I don't remember what event it was. in. I think we were in, we might've been in Alabama um, or South Georgia, but it was, it was either a pay-per-view or a clash and Something happened, and then we were supposed to. We were on our way to. I think we were on our way to Philadelphia for the next big event. And Rude was. I mean, he was threatening to, to do some damage to Ric Flair. And uh, you know, Rick wasn't going to back down. He wasn't going to sh- not show up. You know, Rick was too much of a pro for that. I don't know what was going through his mind. I don't know if he was afraid of Rick Rude or not physically. He probably should have been, but uh, Rude was. And I. No, I tried to calm Rude down. I tried to talk him off the ledge. I, he'd look at me, but I could tell he was not listening to a word he, I'd say. He was just really fucking pissed. And I went to Barry Windham, you know, not to take anything away from Arn and, you know, some of the other people that were there to back up Rick, I would presume, <laughs> because everybody was aware of it. It wasn't a secret. Uh, but I just, to make sure... <laughs> to try to make sure nothing happened or if it did, that it was stopped quickly. You know, I asked Barry Windham to come down because Barry Windham, when, you know, he was a badass. He had some respect. He had hams like his, he had fists like his, his father, these big fucking hams. Um, 
So, you know, I went to, to Wyndham and said, dude, I don't want to get you in the middle of anything you don't want to be in the middle of, but just in case, do you mind, you know, presiding over the inevitable event that's about to occur in five or six days? And Barry did, and, and it worked itself out. There was no phys- physicality, but it got pretty intense. And, and another one, uh, well, we'll save it to the end of the show. This is a pretty interesting story that made me bit nervous so uh, just i have a feeling a, a trunk is involved and i can't wait to get there all right conrad let's hit pause one more time give some love to another one of our great partners now look i have perfect hair we've all known that for a long 30 years of television believe me the country knows i think a lot of my hair but guess what getting older means I've got to take a little bit better care of my hair because I don't want any hair loss. It's what I'm known for. And one of the reasons that I love Keeps is because you have the best access to hair loss treatment. Prescription medication delivers straight to your house and online doctor consultation. So if you need help with your hair, Keeps is for Keeps. Did you know that two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time you're 35? More than 50 million people in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness, and there's only two, two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss, and Keeps offers both. This is a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered right to your door every three months. You never even have to leave your home. It's low-cost. Treatment start at just 10 bucks a month, and Keeps offers generic versions as well discreet packaging proven results keeps as more five-star reviews than any of its competitors look guys prevention is key treatments can take four to six months to see results so act now here's all you need to do if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss go to keeps k-e-e-p-s dot com slash 83 weeks to receive your first month's medication and treatment free that's keeps dot com slash 83 weeks to get your first month free keeps dot com slash 83 weeks and keep that fine head of hair all right let's get back to the show in three two one hit it i do want to talk about the nwa here for a minute because um late august 1993 is when supposedly the NWA world champion will be Ric Flair. And the idea being they're going to have this beach blast show on July 18th. And somehow, I don't know if it's advertising or promotional materials, the NWA finds out, Hey, they're going to switch the title because they're promoting Rick as the world champion in August, but the match where Rick would win that belt, because let's not. Let's add this as context. Uh, Ric Flair was able to get a release from Vince McMahon, uh, following, uh, his, uh, loser leaves match to Mr. Perfect on Monday night raw in January of 93, but he's not able to wrestle yet. So they're filling time, at least on WCW programming, with the whole flair for the gold concept, sort of like a modern Piper's pit. If you will, it's an interview segment themed after like a late night show. That's where we would see Fifi, the maid, all of that stuff. and. Eventually we know Flair's going to get back in the ring. So of course he should be challenging for the NWA world title. And that's when things get a little weird 
Uh, this is directly from the observer, a monkey wrench of sorts may have been thrown into that because during this past week, the NWA legal representative sent a letter to WCW saying they have no right to change the title without first getting confirmation by the NWA board of directors, which by NWA bylaws controls the NWA bill. The NWA board consists of CG Sakaguchi screwed that name up. Steve Ricard and Bill Weitz, none of whom at press time had given the okay for the title switch. The NWA threatened to sue WCW if they did the switch this Sunday without permission or advertise flair as NWA champion without authorization of the NWA board. WCW was attempting to rectify the situation before Sunday and on the television show that airs on October 8th, Rick Rude came out with the NWA heavyweight title belt announced as the new champion in tapings in November. Rude still came out with the NWA belt, but was announced by the ring announcer as the world heavyweight champion, as opposed to the NWA champion. So I know you're not exactly running all of the legal stuff for WCW, but do you remember anything about this flare up with, uh, well, we can't call it the NWA title. And that's when ultimately we get this international championship, but this feels like a monumental waste of time. The NWA was not anything of circumstance or relevancy whatsoever by this point. What were you thinking about this or what do you remember about this? I wasn't involved in any of the discussions, you know, in terms of trying to find a solution or <clears throat> resolution with, with the NWA. It's just, it wasn't in my wheelhouse at that time. Um, so I, I remember there was confusion. I remember there was chaos on our end on the television end. It's just a matter of graphics. <laughs> you know, just make sure we get the fucking graphics, right? Whatever it ends up being, however, he's going to be referred to, or the belt, the NWA belt is going to be referred to or not. Just make sure we know. So we've, we've got our graphics, right? That would have been it for me, man. Um, and I agree with you that, you know, the, the lineage, you know, of the NWA, at the end of, of, of Jim Crockett promotions um, is been so convoluted that even back then in 93, I was like, oh, let's just get this over with. It reminded me of kind of the, the silliness and the chaos that was happening between, you know, different territory promoters, you know, towards the end of territories, you know, they were trying desperately Vergania being one of them desperately trying to work together and figure out these, sanctioning bodies and positioning people to all work together to fight against what was going on with the WWE and cable television and talent and all that. But it was so ridiculously not effective. And, and that's probably why I just didn't pay that much attention to it. It was like, dude, just tell me what, tell me what I need to do. Tell me what, you know, our graphics need to look like and what we can say on commentary and we're good. I didn't even have anything to do with commentary at the time. So now take that off the list. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave Meltzer would review the beach blast show that we were just talking about, uh, Dustin Rhodes and Rick rude had a 30 minute match here on the pay-per-view. And he would say that the match hurt the show more than anything else. Dave didn't believe that Rick rude had the repertoire to do a 30 minute match on pay-per-view and thinks it was a big mistake to do two falls. You know, as a rule, maybe I'm in the minority here, but I'm interested to hear your take. I think 30 minute matches should be few and far between. Oh, I mean, yeah. if, if you've got a, a Ric Flair, Sean Michaels type 
performer. Oh, okay. Maybe, uh, if you've got the rock and roll express versus the midnight express again, okay, maybe, but by and large, I don't think I need to see too many 30 minute matches at all. What say you? Well, and this is, let's talk. Well, well, I want to break this down a little bit and we'll go back back to the beginning, but I want to kind of get right about the middle of the conversation here, make a point, a 30 minute match on television would be about 30. You'd you'd have it. How many commercials would you have in there? You know, at least one set, maybe two. Well, yeah. And those are what now three minutes long, three and a half minutes long. So you, while you're watching a 30 minute match at home, uh, or God forbid a 60 minute Ironman match of sorts, um, the number of times that, 15 minute or a 30 minute match would be interrupted would take you out of the match. Yeah. It would be like if football was continuing to play while you were in a commercial break and you come back and you have an entirely different set of circumstances in, in the game. It just takes you out. You know, it, it doesn't work. So I, I would agree now on a pay-per-view, I feel differently. You know, you don't have the same challenge. You have a different challenge because you got to keep the crowd into the match. Yeah. Um, that's the biggest challenge is how do you tell that story in the ring at the narrative of it, but the story in the ring that hopefully has something to do with the narrative, but how do, how do you do that for 30 minutes and hold that audience? You got to be pretty damn good at it and have quite a bit of experience. Otherwise you lose them. And it, it, especially today, you know, if you look at the way we're all conditioned by what we watch or what we listen to or what we read or you know, who we pay attention to. But when you're watching television, you have to watch television at a faster pace now because it's written differently. It's produced differently. Like going back to the NFL, the NFL has changed their television format over the years and the game that goes along with it to make it more television friendly. They had to. And part of that was keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving as fast as you can. Um, and still service the, the game. Wrestling's the same way. And I think that's one of the reasons why when we watch wrestling now, it is more visual, dynamic, visually, and there's less meat on the bone from a narrative perspective, basic storytelling perspective, because everything's so much faster paced. Just a challenge of a television audience evolving. But and I and to start at the beginning, I think you know the, the 60 minute formats, the 30 minute formats, great when you have a, literally a captive audience, you know, at a house show. Go back to you know the big events in regional territories, Minneapolis. It was, you know, it was always Christmas or Thanksgiving. You know, there's always that one big event every year. And now you've got it, you've built it up over a long period of time because it wasn't weekly television where you're trying to bang that story home every week after week after week. So it, it, you can build up your anticipation over a much longer period of time. People were conditioned to go to wrestling on, you know, the big Thanksgiving show or the big Christmas show. Um, and so once I got there, you had a captive audience and you had built that story up the narrative of the story and, and all of that you had built that all up and yeah you can pull off a 60 minute match and where are they going to go there's no remote right easier conditions and i think over time the success of those you know a 60 minute iron man match or whatever you want to call them one you know last man standing type matches great for house shows not so great for television and even pay-per-view 
where people have been conditioned to see things happen at a faster pace. Wow. That was a long answer. Well, let me, let, let me make it shorter. I freaking hate Iron Man matches. And this was one of them, a 30 minute draw one fall each an Iron Man match that resolves nothing. But when you tell me ahead of time, Hey, we're going to go 60 minutes and we're going to see who can win the most falls, or we're going to go 30 minutes and we're going to see who can win the most falls. And either, that's a big difference, right? Well, now I feel like I just need to watch the last five minutes. I feel like it's NBA yeah. playoffs. Like I don't need to watch the first three quarters. I need to watch the last few minutes of the fourth quarter because really nothing else mattered. This is it. And so now see, and, and I'm sorry, to, but I want to kind of echo what you're saying for me. I would be really interested in watching them. That's instead of watching the last five minutes, I would want to see how the people, the agents and the talents and the writers who put together that idea and were trying to communicate to the talent, how to get it done. I'd love to see the psychology within the, who gets what fall, when kind of flow of that match. Not because I just can't, I, I love to watch those style of matches. I don't, but I'd love to kind of figure out what they might've been thinking going into it. Cause that's a big challenge. Uh, I want to mention, uh, flair is going to pull out of the war games, uh, match on September 19th. Uh, and he's going to be replaced by Dustin Rhodes. And now that sets up flair versus rude for the NWA title on that pay-per-view show. And the NWA does hold their annual convention on September 3rd in Las Vegas. And of course, this is what everyone is talking about. And a lot of the members like the idea of Ric Flair being the champion once again. And, uh, as it's written up here in the observer, this is where it gets sticky. I surmise that many, if not most of the non WCW members of the NWA would rather have Flair as champion instead of Rick rude. This is interesting to me because I've never understood because I've read that for years. And I understand that Flair was a legacy performer and regarded as being the best wrestler in the world. And he certainly had history there, but do you think it's that they were anti rude because they didn't like his style? They didn't like the gimmick. They thought he was too much of a gimmick or was it, Hey, this guy was just in main event spots in the WWF and never won the big one. So if he comes over now and wins it here. From a fan perspective, it looks like, well, they couldn't win the WWF title. He's not good enough, but he's good enough to win the NWA. What do you, and I know you weren't involved in the NWA convention, so I can't ask you what happened there, but why do you think, or what do you think the argument would have been against rude being champ? I think you touched on it just a, a couple of moments ago. It was style, right? And, and we have these same types of conversations different contexts, obviously, but these same types of conversations, even today, you know, there are certain people like us, me, you, that talk about wrestling from the eighties and the nineties and compare it to the style of presentation that we see today. I happen to, I, I, I don't mind it. I, you know, I, I don't find myself when I'm watching today's product, whether it's AEW or WWE, I'm going, oh man, I was just the old days, man. Then back in our day, this is the way, you know, when I was, a this is what wrestling should be based on the way I looked at it when I was 10 or 12 or 15 or 30 or 50, even, 
You know, I don't think you should. That, that was a Bill Watts type of mentality. All right. To get to your question, Steve Ricard, wasn't he a promoter in Australia? I believe so. Um, I, I, I could be wrong about that. I haven't heard his name in decades, so I could be wrong. Uh, and who was the third person that was on the board? Oh, Sagaguchi. Yes. Okay. Uh, New, New Zealand and Australia. He was, uh, Rickard was born in New Zealand and then died in Australia. So okay, you, you had it right. Wow. Prevagent shit works, dude. Oh, my God. Pull a name out of a hat from 30 years ago and tell you what territory he's from. Huh. Getting good at this shit. Um, all I, I don't, I didn't, I've ne- obviously never had any interaction with Ricard or Segaguchi other than hello. How are you? Um, I would assume all of those, those three gentlemen had probably a Bill Watts philosophy. And as such, I would imagine that you're right. It was, more familiarity with Ric Flair. Ric Flair represented what in their minds I'm suggesting is, you know, kind of the way wrestling used to be and still should be. Whereas Rick Rude was bringing that WWE Hollywood, if you want to call it that, but the, the Vince McMahon vibe to it, you know, all show, no go, that kind of thing, which was what guys like Bill Watts thought of WWE and Vern Gagne. I mean, everybody was banking on the fact that the audience would get tired of the glitz and the clamor <laughs> and want to go back to what wrestling used to be. That was the Bill Watts philosophy. So let's assume that Bill Watts, or they either all agreed with him or had enough influence to convince them or whatever he would do under the table. Who knows with Sagaguchi, anything would have been possible, but I would imagine that was a, a Bill Watts primarily, primarily a decision to kind of make sure we maintain the heritage and the integrity of, of, of the NWA with Ric Flair, as opposed to the showbiz Hollywood, you know, gimmick of Rick Root. Maybe, I don't know. Sounds plausible. Well, if you've been listening to this show for very long, you know that this episode was sponsored by Blue Chew. Say it with us, Blue Chew. Of course, Blue Chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom by offering chewable tablets that can help men get stronger and longer lasting erections. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredient as both Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve a stronger and harder erection to combat all forms of ED. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so that means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door, all in a discreet package. Now, the process is simple. You sign up at BlueChew.com, you consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? No problem here. Blue Chew's sildenafil and tadalafil tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA. They prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code 83weeks at checkout. Just pay the $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is 83weeks to receive your first month for free. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast.
Well, we know what's next is uh, the Ric Flair recruit angle. Um, let's sort of recap the main angle. It's a flair for the gold segment. Rude is going to kiss Fifi. Fifi is going to slap him. Uh, Rude is going to start getting hot about it. And Flair is going to tell Rude that, hey, uh, you're not her type. And Flair turned his back on Rude. Rude grabs the NWA title belt and knocks out Flair, gives him a rude awakening and leaves him laying. And then he starts doing interviews saying out with the old in with the bold. And this is supposed to be the final set of flair for the gold segments, because now of course flares up and running and he can wrestle, but what's going to hang with flair in more ways than one is Fifi, the French maid. <laughs> She's going to become a part of the presentation on camera and off camera. And the theory for a long time has been this angle is what started the quote unquote beef with Rick flair and Rick rude. I can see and, that. And some would say it's because rude was forward with the real life. Wendy who at the time, I believe Wendy was married and working on maybe one day having a family. And of course, Rick, uh, volunteered <laughs> was, was, was married. Uh, but there's a lot of rumor and innuendo that maybe they were more than just an on-screen duo. And I don't know that everyone knew that, but certainly Rick rude, maybe was taking his shot here. And then you couple with that with, Hey, this guy's gunning for my belt and maybe my companion, whatever you want to say there. Uh, and, and then he's doing promos at, with the old in with the bold. I could see how Rick would get hot about that. <laughs> oh, the tangled webs we weave. <laughs> That's, but I can see all of that. And, and, and again, you're doing a great job explaining this, you know, narrative, because I can picture it and kind of flash back to certain moments that I, I wouldn't have been able to. So, yeah, that was it. And, and also, you know, I've, I've talked to Wendy, I mean, recently in the last couple of years, you know, we're, we've been to a number of conventions and signings and things together and we've crossed paths a lot over the last couple of years. And I it was within the last year or so, Wendy and I had a conversation about Rick and her work with rude and her working with rude, um, so yeah, that's all coming together right now. Yeah, I get it. That was it. It's no longer a rumor in innuendo. It is, at least in my opinion, a verifiable fact. We'll go with it. When did you start to see any of that rear its head to you? That, hey man, Flair and Rude really don't like each other. N not until within about two weeks of the, uh, the story that I told you early on about going to Barry Windham. Yeah. 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 Cause I wasn't backstage a lot, you know, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't hanging out in the locker rooms. I, you right. know, I, that just wasn't my thing. And so I didn't spend a lot of time with talent that was back before nitro, you know, nitro was a great opportunity for us not to go off track, but you know, we do the live event and then because it was on, it replayed immediately thereafter, you know, 
if you were the first two, three, four matches on Nitro, you were already at the bar watching it live most of the time before it ended. And then the rest of us of would show up and we could all watch that show together. That was a great opportunity um, for us all to kind of to be, get, be together and break down the show that we just got out of. Well, that didn't happen back, you know, before Nitro. So guys like me, you know, the talent would all leave. They'd go to their hotel or their strip club or whatever it is that they were going to do or go on down the road for the next shot. Um, guys like me didn't do that. So I didn't hear a lot of the locker room chatter that would indicate that this thing was starting to, you know, boil over uh, until towards the very end. And it was like, holy shit, <laughs> what are we going to do? I want to mention too, this is the era where we're trying to get ready for war games and there's going to be a mystery partner. We know it's going to be the former typhoon. This is unfortunately the whole Shockmaster incident, but that's not the end of the whole mystery partner stuff. Dustin Rhodes is promising a mystery partner for clash of the champions. They're doing it at the ocean center in Daytona beach. Now I want you to remember boys and girls three years after this Hulk Hogan is going to turn heel in the ocean center and change wrestling forever, creating the NWO. But here we've got 8,903 fans. That's a strong crowd for WCW or the WWF in 1993, but only 2,400 of them were paying customers, which is just crazy. Especially when we have now the benefit of hindsight of knowing what's possible with the NWO in this same company on this particular clash of the champions, uh, Dustin Rhodes, mystery partner to take on Rick Rude and the equalizer. That's worth a Google is road warrior Hawk. Um, Meltzer would say the reuniting of the road warriors got a huge pop, but as soon as the match started, the equalizer was so bad. It killed everything. That's the story of WCW in, in the early nineties, a lot of stops and starts, but the show got a 3.8 rating. It's viewed in 2.32 million homes. It's the largest audience to watch any pro wrestling TV show in the United States in 1993. And, uh, over the weekend, they're going to do a series of two out of three falls matches for the vacant U S title with Rick rude and Dustin Rhodes. And then we start building towards, Hey, what are they going to do with the NWA and Rick rude? Um, the, the write up here in the, the torch is the NWA promoters are going to attempt to get a deal where they'll allow Rick rude to win the title since the TV has already been taped, but only if WCW agrees to have flair regain the title from rude at a house show promoted by a non WCW, but NWA affiliated promoter and WCW sent word to the cable systems that the flair rude match is now advertised as a world heavyweight title match, not an NWA heavyweight title match. Of course, this is a lot of silliness here in the scheme of things. I don't think it matters at all. WCW fans were watching to see these performers on this channel on that date. And it was probably a little confusing to the fans at home that we've got a WCW world title. And we've got an NWA world title. We're not presenting ourselves as the NWA. We just have their belt. I could see how that would get confusing, Eric. This is so stupid. Yes. And such a great example of how screwed up, mismanaged, and basically brain dead 
WCW management was at this time. This is what I inherited. <laughs> this is, this was so stupid. And what makes me really curious is who within WCW, who, who, who was in those meetings where they were trying to solve this issue that was hanging on to any excuse to even associate with the NWA? The fuck was it? It had no value. It had perceived value by some of the people that were in WCW, obviously management, decision makers at some level. Otherwise, the conversation wouldn't be happening. I mean, it would, for me, faced with that situation, the very first time someone said, well, this, look, if you're going to do that, this is what we want. It would have been fuck you bye, yeah. because there's no value in it. Other than what you've convinced yourself of, you know, in your booking committee or whatever. So I, it's just, it, whew, man, how stupid, how utterly stupid. If the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that connection to the people we love most is really what matters. Not the kind of connection that comes from a curated social feed or a chaotic group text, but the everyday moments where life really matters. Aura Smart Frames bring those moments to the forefront of daily life, making it easy to share photos and now video too, and feel closer from anywhere in the world. These are beautifully designed, easy to set up, and they're one of Oprah's favorite things for 2021. Three years running, as the Aura Frame really is the perfect holiday gift. You can even personalize it by preloading photos for a surprise that will have them crying tears of joy. There's never been a better time to take advantage of Aura's best deals of the year. It's Black Friday slash Cyber Monday, and you get all that pricing now through November 30th. Just visit AuraFrames.com to get to gifting. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. And our listeners should use the promo code 83 weeks to take $30 off of Aura's best-selling digital picture frames. I want to mention you've got crystal clear resolution. The high resolution screen on an Aura frame makes your photos look their best. And really it doesn't look like a screen at all. They've also got photo collections where you can save time with Aura's smart curation tools to help you find your best photos, filtering out the duplicates and the blurry shots. You even get fun reactions where you can react to photos. You can send cute emojis for love or congratulations or more. It really is delightfully easy. You just choose your photos and they appear on your frame like magic, wherever it is in the world. There's no memory cards required. The aura app is compatible with both iOS and Android. I want to mention it is private and secure Aura is going to keep your photos secure to make it easy to control who has access to your frame. But they've got some really cool pro tools here too, like auto cropping and auto dimming. They've even got an interactive touch bar so you can change photos, view details, and it all happens with a tap or a swipe. This really is a home run. It's been all over the press. Like 130 gift guides have selected this as one of Oprah's favorite things, three years running. Of course, we're talking about Aura's frames. Aura is in fact, Wirecutter's number one pick in digital picture frames. Aura frames have even been recommended by the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes Magazine, and a lot of different high-end decor publications. So check this out, man, especially with this year being a little challenging for gifts, maybe because we can't all get together or this whole supply chain thing. Don't get me started. Aura frames has you hooked up, man. 
give a perfect gift this year. Uh, it's Black Friday, it's Cyber Monday, and you get those good deals. Well, you get those good deals right now uh, through the end of the month. So hurry over to AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. The promo code is 83 weeks and you'll get 30 bucks off Aura's best-selling digital picture frames. Go see it for yourself. It's A-U-R-A frames.com. That's AuraFrames.com. And the promo code is 83 weeks. Dustin Rhodes winds up winning the U.S. title uh, in the final match of the best of three series at center stage on August 30th. The match is going to ultimately air on September 11th. We'll see a referee bump. Rhodes will hit the bulldog, but now there's no referee to count the ball. So as Rhodes is helping the referee, Rick Rude grabs a chair. Rick Flair, who was doing color commentary, runs in and grabs the chair. Flair and Rude are arguing here. So Dustin schoolboys Rude and wins the title. So now there's even more venom from Rick Rude to point towards Rick Flair. You cost me the belt. And it does put, I mean, let's appreciate the context here. I understand that these wrestling fans grew up with Ric Flair and they're going to cheer Ric Flair, but Ric Flair is like the ultimate bad guy, but it takes an even more hated heel to make Ric Flair, the super baby face and buddy Rick Rude was that was he not? He was, he, d- he definitely was. And, you know, before the triangle <laughs> that, that pretty much killed the chemistry between those two. Think about what could have been, you know, had there not been that challenge in the middle, so to speak. That's the NWA stuff continues to uh, spiral out of control. There's a lot of frustration about what's going to happen. What's not going to happen. The biggest concern going into the convention and coming out is of course, the status of the NWA heavyweight title held by Ric Flair scheduled to be switched to Rick rude on September 19th. And there's a lot of folks who are against this. And it seems like the idea is we'll do it, but you got to owe us a favor. And eventually it's made clear by WCW when they faxed cable operators to not build the match as an NWA title match, but instead call it a world heavyweight title match. Uh, that WCW is just going to wash their hands of this whole NWA name. And there's a ton of legalities going back and forth because there's debate about when should we, and when shouldn't we call it the NWA title? It's a total mess, but they even removed the member, uh, the, the mentions of the NWA on promos. They have flair cut a series of promos and he never says NWA and there's a worry. Hey, what if they try to get some sort of injunction to stop the match or stop the pay-per-view? It's just all silliness. Um, and in the end, as a result, when, when rude does win it, technically we don't call it a world title anymore. It's now this, not really the NWA belt, not really the WCW belt. It's just the big gold belt, which I guess is another weird piece of history for that title in particular, but I'm with you. I would have told the NWA to go kick rocks on the very first conversation. Yeah. The the fact that this was such a protracted deliberation over the period of weeks. And I guess months, I mean, that's what shocks me. I can understand somebody going, Hey, what if, you know, we we do the NWA WCW thing, you know, join. Okay. There's a little bit of value in that. You know, there is the heritage despite it's, 
recent history at the time of the NWA belt, bringing it back, you know, keeping it on Ric Flair. So I understand that. I'm not saying that was a stupid idea. I can understand that. But the minute it became a problem, and the minute I had somebody that's outside of my company telling me what I can and can't do on the inside of my company, especially an entity that has no value, it isn't worth anything. It's a non-operational entity that's trying to protect a trademark that has no application. Yeah, fuck it. I'd give that five minutes. I'd listen for three and a half or four. And then within a minute or a minute 30, I would say goshoe. Stupid. Meltzer would say, as of press time, the NWA had scheduled a hearing to attempt to get a preliminary restraining order on September 15th to ask that the Flair Rude match not be referred to as for any kind of championship on the pay-per-view. <laughs> any television references for it being for any kind of championship that were pre-taped be erased from future broadcasts. The idea being here, they're actually arguing, hey, even if you're not calling it the NWA world title, it still looks like that because that's the same belt and fans would be confused by that. So you can't call it the championship of any sort. In fact, you can't have that belt there at all. And we need it back and we're going to put it on these other guys or what have you. So WCW ain't having that and says, Nope, good luck. We're moving on. And, uh, we're moving on to the big pay-per-view, which is going to be fall brawl, 1993, but the real battle happened in the courthouse a few days earlier, WCW is going to withdraw their membership of the NWA. It's a big mess. Um, a lot of, he said, she said a lot of finger pointing (laughs) and the torch would say this all appears to be an inside job between Watts and Sakaguchi. Says ah, NWA board. Ah, I said that a little earlier, right? Mr. And Keller uh, was very prescient, very aware, understood the politics. That's funny. And it's probably true. Good job, Wade. Internally, people started within WCW started to refer to this title as the Ric Flair belt. Um, one of the NWA board members says he's confident. He's confident that the letter will be found invalid. That's not like they're going to stop WCW spokesman who you and I are both friendly with Mr. Mike Weber told the torch that WCW did not plan to use the name NWA at any point in the future. Quote, as of September 1st, WCW stopped all references to the NWA name and that policy still stands. Unfortunately, it stood through maybe the worst show of 1993. At least that's according to Dave Meltzer. Uh, He would say the matches at fall brawl were sluggish. The booking was unimaginative. The matchmaking itself was downright pathetic. He said it looked pathetic on paper going in and the result was even worse. Um, and listen, I understand sometimes you like to dunk on Dave and say this or that. And I understand, but show itself, goodness gracious, let's run through it. Lord Steven Regal against Ricky Steamboat for the TV title. Charlie Norris versus Big Sky on pay-per-view. Ooh, doggy. Two Cold Scorpio is going to team with Marcus Bagwell to take on Paul Orndorff and the Equalizer. Ice Train is going to have a singles match on pay-per-view here against Shanghai Pierce. Damn. And we've got the Nasty Boys, Brian Knobs and Jerry Sachs taking on the Four Horsemen. 
Don't get too excited. It's Arn Anderson and Paul Roma. Then we've got Cactus Jack, who we know is one of the more talented performers we've ever seen, taking on Yoshi Kwan. Oh my Rick, goodness. Rick Rude and Ric Flair for whatever that belt is called. And then in the main event, Sting, Davy Boy Smith, Dustin Rhodes, and the Shockmaster take on Sid, Vader, and Harlem Heat. I got to give it to Dave on paper. This does not look good. And if you're struggling with sleep, uh, we've got great sponsors to help you with that, but just turning on fall brawl 93 might do the trick. Oh, I feel so bad. That was horrible. (laughs) That was horrible. So as you're laying that card out and it's, I'm starting to visualize that. I wonder what was going on in Dusty's head. And I'm not, I'm not saying that in a smart ass kind of way, but you've got, I know what it's like to be responsible for something that you're not in control of. Yeah. I know that feeling very, very well. And it's a horrible position to be in, right? To be held responsible for something you have absolutely no control of. Avoid those situations whenever you can, those of you who are listening. Yeah. Um, Dusty was in that role. Dusty was in that position of being responsible for something I not quite had no control of. But when it comes to creative, if you don't have the ability to sit down, not that you wouldn't collaborate and have people help you, But if you can't make a decision on a direction that you want to go for more than a week at a time for the next month or two months or three months or whatever your creative cycle may be, if you don't have the ability to start it and end it the way you want to end it with help and support, you're in a position of being responsible without having control. And that's where Dusty was because Dusty, we all know, had the ability if properly motivated, and this is the fucked up thing about creative people, they're not, they don't work in a factory for a reason. They don't design houses and commercial buildings for a reason. They're not lawyers for a reason. They're creative people. And that applies, I think, to music and actors and actresses and oily, oil painting artists, whoever. If you're an artistic person, you need to be kind of left to your abilities over a long term to see if you're any good at it. Yeah. Dusty, Dusty was in that spot with Bill Watts. So I'm, I'm not making excuses, I'm, but I'm pointing out, you know, 20 minutes ago, we were talking about the fantastic setup and the story that was being set up with Rick Rude and Ric Flair in the very beginning. And now it's deteriorated in a matter of months or less to this card. What the fuck happened in there? How could this guy that did such a great job of putting together the, the chessboard right? Laying out the chess pieces a mere weeks later, end up putting together a card that looked like it came out of a hat. It's weird. That's what I want to know. How'd that happen? And why, why did that happen? Fellas, you ever go to work and uh, all of a sudden you find people giving you compliments about something you wore. Maybe it's something you really liked. Maybe it's something your wife made you wear either way. It feels good when people notice some of your threads and compliment them. And I've been getting a bunch of compliments thanks to stance. And now it feels like all of my friends are like, Hey, where'd you get that? Hey, where'd you get that? 
And once upon a time, I have to admit, like when I was a kid and, and I got a gift for Christmas from, I don't know, an aunt or a grandma and it was clothes, pretty good chance I never wanted to wear that. But I'm telling you, when it comes to gift giving time, everybody loves stance. This is not boring, right? It would almost became like a joke. Oh, get dad another pair of socks. Just what he needs. Another tie. People love stance. That's a totally different deal. Guaranteed to make Mary with quality comforts for you and yours. Stance has made gift giving super simple this holiday season. Stance's premium line of socks, apparel, and more always comes correct. Colorful constructions, innovative materials, and choice fits that are built to last. Throw in an all-star curation of A-list collaborators and those lucky recipients on your holiday nice list have never had it so good. Check out stance.com for all the latest, including several different subscription options that are sure to keep your friends and family feeling great all year round. I got to tell you, when I showed Mrs. Thompson the site, she got all excited. There's something for everybody. Harry Potter, Batman, the Goonies, Star Wars, The Office, Wu-Tang Clan, Jill Perkins, Disney, Barbie, Marvel, Bob Marley, Major League Baseball, the NBA, Pixar. But dude, the sock game? (laughs) My goodness, you've got to see this. Uh, One by one, I got compliment after compliment. The quality is beyond compare. They are by far the most well-made fabrics I've ever put on my feet. And I get a ton of compliments. So I like wearing them, and apparently people like seeing them. They're super soft. They're so comfortable. I can't recommend it enough. But man, you want to talk about a wow gift. They open the box and buddy, they're going to be all in. Stance has the perfect gift for every punk and poet on your list. Go see for yourself. It's easy. Just head on over to stance.com and pick out some styles you think they might like. Enjoy the color and comfort of a less ordinary life with Stance. Seriously, check it out right now. It costs nothing to look and you are going to love it. And so will they. It's the perfect gift this holiday season at stance.com. That's S-T-A-N-C-E dot com. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Your house is worth more than ever, and that represents a real opportunity for you to get out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments than you ever thought possible. You see, the interest you pay on your credit cards right now is probably, what, more than 19%, whereas I can get you the best rate you've ever had on a mortgage right now. Now, the experts say rates are going to rise next year, so take advantage of these rates while we've still got them. And the added bonus of doing it right now during the holiday season, you get to skip your next two house payments. Think about that. No payments in December or January. You're done until February 1st. So your single biggest bill, you pocket that cash for two months. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Keep more of your own money and get rid of your credit card debt once and for all. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners save hundreds of dollars per month. But more importantly, they go from a 30-year loan down to just 15. I know what you're thinking. I can't afford a 15-year loan. Buddy, you can't afford not to. With rates as low as they are right now, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much. And if you're in a 30-year loan, you're overpaying your single biggest bill, and you may not even realize it. Find out how much money you can save right now for free before it's too late and make this the best holiday ever. You got the best rate possible. You got rid of your credit card debt. You're saving money every month. And oh, by the way, you're getting out of debt faster with cheaper monthly payments. Find out how much money you can save right now for free and make this the best Christmas ever. at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And hey, check out our reviews for yourself. See what everybody else has to say about what they experienced at SaveWithConrad.com. 
and read our reviews at conradreviews.com. That's C-O-N-R-A-D reviews.com. We've got tons of five-star reviews of families just like you who are saving tens of thousands of dollars at savewithconrad.com. The crowd here um, is the largest crowd WCW has ever drawn in Houston. 4,500 fans is a 6,000-seat arena. But the real thing we're talking about today is a two-and-three-quarter star match. It goes 30 minutes and 47 seconds. Ric Flair is going to drop the world heavyweight title to Rick rude. Meltzer would write this Flair came out with Fifi. Whose real name is Wendy Barlow. The funniest Fifi story came a few days before the match where they were doing satellite transmission to hype the card with Flair being interviewed by several television sportscasters from around the country. The satellite was already on with Flair and Fifi and faith Fifi who's never been put in this position before asked Rick, what happens if someone asks her something in French or wants her to talk in French anyway, Rick pretty much said he'd cover for her. It was never a factor, <laughs> but in the second interview, Rick did the entire interview talking about what Rick rude had done to Wendy rude is nowhere near the wrestler. He was in the first half of 1992, the disc injury from last year is either much worse than anyone is letting on because rude used to be a bump machine. And now he hardly bumps at all or rude simply doesn't care about having good matches anymore. Given that rude doesn't bump and he's a heel and that nearly every match he's had on a big show of any length over the last year has been awful. Even with the legendary guy who can carry anyone who decided to let this go 31 minutes. The first half of this match was terrible. Flair had never been in a match this bad on pay-per-view except for the one match with sting where he played the black Scorpion. The match picked up and ended up with all of its drawbacks still easily being the best match on the show, but that's only faint praise. The last nine minutes were good, but not great, but the damage had already been done. Rude went for a pin and after a fist drop, but Flair kicked out. Rude then went after Fifi. Fifi slapped him. Rude then started kissing Fifi. And as she struggled, Flair came back and went wild, putting Rude in the figure four with the referee attending the Fifi. Rick pulled out a gimmick, hit Flair with it and got the pin two and three quarter stars. Do you think this era, I mean, Flair had this reputation for a long time for years prior to this, that he felt a longer match meant a better match. Do you think Flair would have been the ad, uh, the advocate here for a long match, not Rick Rude? I don't know. I mean, given the circumstances leading up to this, my inclination, if I had to place a bet, would be Rick would have preferred it be shorter than longer. <laughs> um, but creatively, you know, take the, the personal nonsense aside. Uh, I could see it because Rick was that guy, you know, Rick was ascending in his career and arguably in some ways, perhaps at the peak of it in terms of what he was doing in the ring and, and, and all that, the attention he was getting when he was at the peak prior to WCW or WWE. Um, so I could see Rick kind of leaning into that, wanting a longer match. If it weren't for the issues, right the issues, I would say he probably want to just get it over with the, uh, the sub WCW Saturday night show on nine 11, which would be Rick rude and, uh, 
Dustin Rhodes' third match, did a 2.5 rating. So two of the three Rick Rude, Dusty, uh, or Dustin matches did really good numbers. And it feels like it's Rick Rude's time. All the house show main events are Ric Flair versus Rick Rude. They never announce one way or another what the title is. Uh, Flair would routinely get the, the clean win and fans thought the title had changed, but there was no announcement made about that and no presentation. And a lot of people would leave unhappy, but I guess they probably were like, Hey, we don't want to get ourselves sued. We need to let some of this stuff die down. But one of the reasons that people were critical or one of the things people said, uh, after being critical of Rick Root's performance at the pay-per-view is that he had just been on a promotional tour in Germany. So he had jet lag. He was not well rested. Uh, he was probably dragging, but the back injury, that's a real thing. And I don't know that everybody talked about it enough. I mean, this is very much a different area in wrestling where you don't want to lose your spot. If you've got any sort of upward momentum. And make no mistake, even if he wasn't the WCW world champion, Ric Flair was the top guy in 1993 in WCW. If you have an opportunity to work with him, sort of the, the equivalent of Hulk Hogan on this station, you, you don't take time off. I mean, not if you can help it. And Rick Rude, probably being old school, he's trying to gut through it and still jumping at these opportunities to go do promotional tours in Germany. That's good for him. That's good for his brand. You don't get asked to do that. If you're the curtain jerker, you get asked to do that. If you're a featured player, I think the back injury here had to be real, right? I think the back injury was real. I think the back injury definitely affect affected what Rick could do in the ring. Um, Rick didn't want people to know that he didn't sell it. Uh, Rick and I talked rude. I'm going to refer to Rick rude as rude to avoid confusion. Sure. But Rude and I talked occasionally about his issues. He no sold it. Yeah. 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 Back's a little stiff. No big deal. Doc says things are going to be great. He didn't want to let it on. That's old right. school. You know, that's a guy that's used to working for his money. Right. Um, but now what we know, I think the back injury and the medication that Rick was Mr. Rude was prescribed to, to treat that issue. I think that was the beginning of ultimately the end. Unfortunately for Rick Rude, drugs started to play a factor. Rick Rude had amazing work ethic. And, and he was, Rick Rude could be difficult to work with creatively if things escalated and got a little hot in the conversation because at his core, Rick was a fighter, you know? I mean, I, I said when we opened up the show, I knew of him, you know, fresh out of high school because he, he and a bunch of other people that, you know, ended up in a wrestling business, Wayne Bloom, the Road Warriors, you know, both of them. Um, those guys, are they all came from the, they were all working as bouncers in bars. They were really, really, really well-suited at that job in the places they bounced in Northeast Minneapolis were historically, you know, not the place you want to go. If you want to, you know, come home with the teeth in your mouth, if you want to cause trouble, if you want to be a tough guy, 
those guys were notorious in, in the area that I lived. Um, so that, that part of Rick Rude would come out if it was an intense creative conversation. We never threatened, even with me, and I know we're building up to something later on, but you know, even when things got really hot, I was never afraid, not because I'm a, <laughs> I wouldn't have lasted 15 seconds with Rick Rude. It, it, it would have been more akin to child abuse than a fist fight. <laughs> but I also wasn't afraid of him, even in that situation, because that's just, you know, Rick, he just got it intense, but I never was concerned about getting destroyed by Rick Root because I knew eventually he'd calm down and we could work to a solution. But um, he could be tough, no doubt about it. Tony Schiavone is going to get on the WCW hotline and say that the title that Rick Rude now holds will no longer be recognized as a world title and that Flair and Rude will simply wrestle for the physical belt with two referees and the only world champion in WCW is Vader, which I guess everybody assumes in the observer is going to eliminate a unification match. And Dave would say the decision comes on the heels of a television show where Flair and Rude, both in interviews, proclaim the title that apparently isn't going to exist in a few weeks as undisputed and the only world title in the entire sport. Their match was being pushed on TV as being the first time in history that a world title match will, we will be rematched on the very next pay-per-view. Uh, let's talk about a promo that happened here. That got a lot of people talking. It's September 29th. They're in Atlanta. They're at center stage and they're taping the Saturday shows for October 9th and October 16th on October 16th, 1993, go find this promo rude comes out with the belt and he's talking about his match with flair at the pay-per-view. Of course, we're building towards Halloween havoc. And he says, the question is quote, will Fifi go with flair or come with me? Oh, which probably qualifies as uh, one of the better double entendres of recent memory. But again, yes. remember behind the scenes, according to the rumor and innuendo in real life, Rick Rude is in hot pursuit of the real life, Wendy. And in real life, even though both she and Rick are married, I believe a lot of people were assuming that Rick was spending a little quality time with Wendy in this era. So here's two top guys battling over a belt, but in reality, they're really interested in the same lady. This is a, this is like classic Greek literature. This is a love story. Feels like a movie. This is Romeo and fucking Juliet. Yes. Come well, on now. Classic Greek mythology and, and, and Shakespeare and the, 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 the you talk about stakes and storytelling. And because Wendy and Ric Flair are both friends, I'm going to refrain from having as much fun with this. Analogy. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you said Romeo and Juliet, and I'm thinking, you know, I've read that before, and I don't reckon they were both married to other people. But no, still. but it's a version. Everything evolves. Remember, I've said this a million times. There's only seven basic stories. Sure. to mankind. Since the beginning of time, when fucking men were sitting around a campfire inside of a cave, drawing pictures of the hunt yes. that they were enjoying, right? There's seven basic stories, and love. the love triangle is one of them. 
Now it's a little different with Romeo and Juliet, but it's the, the, the Ric Flair, Rick Rude, Wendy Barlow story is a derivative of the original Romeo and Juliet story. Yeah. <laughs> hey, can I take a break, Conrad? Sure. All right. And I'll remind you to hit record when we come back. <laughs> so let's talk about the, uh, the October 9th edition of WCW Saturday night. We're on our way to Halloween havoc. Uh, Rick rude is, uh, got the belt with him and he's saying it's the big gold belt. That's what we're calling it. Now the big gold belt. And he said, he still believes the belt has tremendous heritage and value. It's kind of a bad spot for a talent to be in here, Eric, where, you know, this belt is no longer the NWA world title and we can't even call it a world title. It's just sort of here, but it's the same belt that dusty Rhodes and Ricky steamboat and Ric Flair and sting. And so many guys have been made because of this world title. And now we can't really call it what it is or what it was. It had to be a little disappointing for Rick Rude as a talent, but also an unenviable position of, we got this big pay-per-view match. I got to sell and you're, you know, notorious Eric for saying stakes got to have stakes. What are the stakes here with this belt that nobody seems to want or even know what the hell to call goes right back to how stupid this idea was from the beginning. Yeah. There is no stakes because the belt really didn't mean anything. Yeah. It meant something and the heritage meant something. Don't get me wrong in terms of it being stakes. Sure. People like, I mean, as you're describing, you know, what that belt represents to me, it helps me better understand why people collect belts. It's not so much the belt, it's the stories and the characters and the moments that it was a part of yes. that, you know, you get your value from and are, are proud of. And I understand that, but in terms of driving story, the percentage of people that had that appreciation for the belt, belt therefore would accept it as stakes were so minuscule. We're talking maybe dozens <laughs> in the television audience. Maybe 50 people actually thought that that mattered enough to actually accept it as stakes. So you're right, man. It was a tough spot. You don't want to piss on it because now it's central to what you're doing, uh, but you can't put it over either. <laughs> it's kind of weird. If you haven't already go out of your way to find a picture or not, or maybe even watch, I could recommend watching it. The Halloween havoc match. Simply for Rick Rude's tights, you know, he made it a deal here for a long time where he would get his opponent. I mean, going back to the whole Jake, the snake Roberts thing in the WWF with Jake's wife, Cheryl being on Rude's tights. Well, it's Halloween havoc and he's got on his right leg, get my tricks. And it's Ric Flair in a portrait with a black eye or my treats. And it's Wendy, AKA Fifi, the French maid on his left leg. Hilarious tights, great use of, you know, making part of your ensemble. I mean, everything about Rick root is heat here. And I, I just think it's good stuff, man. And he looked great with the big gold belt, whatever the hell it was around his waist, the match itself. Well, had a DQ finish 19 minutes and 22 seconds. Uh, Meltzer would write the match had two referees. One of which was Terry Taylor, whose referee stint was supposed to equate his baby face turn. Although I don't think most people quote unquote, got it. 
earlier in the show, Taylor did an interview pretty much saying he's changing his ways earlier in the show on an announcement. It was said that the international promoters of WCW recognize Rude's title as a world heavyweight title. So now it's a world title again. Oof. Um, Meltzer would say this must make the fans at home think this company lacks any long-term thought process. Uh, not to mention how this rescinding a title's validation and then giving it back so easily makes all the titles in the promotion look bogus. This oh, was a lot, a lot better than last month's match. Very good with Flair doing very little of his normal routine, but with the worst finish thus far in the show. Flair started fast and got the figure four on in the first two minutes, but Rude made the ropes. Flair continued to work over the leg until Rude ripped him to the floor. Uh, Rude continued selling. Uh, and, and for a long periods of time, it made the earlier damage seem very realistic. After a double bump over the top, Flair came off the top rope to the floor with a punch slash clothesline. Flair tried it a second time, but Rude caught him with the punch and took control. Once in the ring, Rude came off the top, but his knee buckled and he sold it, but still maintained the advantage using his patented several minute camel clutch. Flair made a comeback, hit the Rude awakening in 1650 for a near fall. Who doesn't like that when you use the other guy's finish? Flair came off the top, but uh, Rude got his feet in Flair's face. Flair comes back with chops. Then we had two referee bumps. Rude pulls out an object, but Flair suplexes him. Object goes flying. There's a TBS still photographer at ringside, not realizing what was going on, and grabbed the object, which ostensibly ruined an already bad finish. The photographer then had to give the object back to Flair so he could use it. And then he got caught by referee Randy Anderson for the DQ. After the match, Rude tried to kidnap Fifi, but Flair tackled him on the ramp and went for the figure four, but it was broken up by officials, three and a quarter stars. So for years and years, we wrestling fans thought, Hey, Starcade's the big Mac daddy of them all. You as the guy who ran WCW during their greatest heights said, no, it was really Halloween havoc. This felt like a big time match, but it would also be, I would think you would come to the assumption. Well, this is going to be the blow off, but it's not, they go with the DQ finish, but then still keep the heat on afterwards with the physicality and the whole Fifi stuff after the bell. What'd you think Halloween havoc 94 or 93 rather Rick rude and uh, Rick flair. I liked it. You know, I, I, I haven't gone back and looked at it prior to the show, but your analysis of it or your description of it makes me want to. Um, and I probably will before the day's over. Um, I would have liked to have seen a clean finish. Like I know well, that's it, silly, but it's like a blow off. You were kind of laying this out. Remember what I said a little while ago about, you know, Dusty Rhodes being in a tough spot and being responsible for, but not being in control of a situation. I think, and I'm not making excuses for Dusty, but I thought a lot about this today in, in some of this narrative. Dusty got a lot of heat. In fact, Meltzer called them Dusty finishes. Yeah. Okay. It, Dusty's approach to story sometimes um, led to a lot of, DQs and unsatisfying in the moment um, endings of matches and endings of stories and rather tried to find ways to continue them. I think the idea of finding a way to continuing the arc of the, the story is a great idea, but you do have to be careful 
how you pick and choose extending that story. And, and at the same time, the audience was conditioned to a certain match, match or, you know, TV, 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 pay-per-view, TV, 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 pay-per-view. So they have been conditioned to that. When you see a pay-per-view, you're expecting a blow-off, as it should, because it's a pay-per-view. It should be the ending of most stories, but not all. Um, some stories could continue. Some stories could launch out of a pay-per-view, for example. But Dusty was experimenting, and Dusty had to serve another master, you know. And I'm not sure where Dusty was as a booker during this particular time, because there were some big changes along the way. Uh, around this time and it happened in rapid succession. But if Dusty's, and I'm pretty sure Dusty's booked this, but if Dusty was booking this, he's trying to do what he wants to do and the vision that he sees, but he has to compromise that in many respects with what, if, if my timing is right on this, Bill Watts wanted. And that's what I meant by, eh, you're responsible, but you're not in control. And that's where you make you know decisions like that and compromises like that. All right, Conrad, let's hit pause one more time because we want to welcome yet another partner, a new partner here at 83 Weeks. We're talking about Trade Coffee. Now, not a surprise to anybody, I am probably considered a coffee snob. I am very, very particular about the coffee I drink, and I should be because I drink a boatload of coffee. It's probably one of the reasons I have as much fun doing this show as I do, because I come fully powered with my favorite coffee. But one of the things I like about trade coffee, well, I'm going to tell you a whole lot more, but the vast selection of ultra high quality product from craft roasters around the U.S. delivered straight to my door. Trade's goal is to make every cup of coffee your best ever. Now, the journey to your perfect cup, it starts with taking their coffee quiz. For example, you use a French press, maybe an automatic drip. Perhaps you're a cold brew person. Doesn't matter. No problem. Your answers will allow Trey to pair you with the perfect coffee that will fit your taste. Trade will match your coffees that you love from 400 plus craft coffees and will send you a freshly roasted bag just as often as you like you give trade your feedback as your preferences evolve trade learns more about what you're like your coffee matches will too it's a perfect way to get the perfect match for the perfect cup of coffee you can feel good about each cup since trade partners with 55 over 55 small u.s base roasters who are committed to both ethical and sustainable sourcing. I love trade coffee. I love the fact it gets delivered to my door. I love the wide variety of coffees that are available to me. And I love the fact that they're matching my particular tastes and the things that I like with some of the best coffees out there. You're going to love it too. So for our listeners, right now, Trade is offering your first bag free and $5 off your bundle at checkout. To get yours, go to drinktrade.com forward slash 83 weeks. Use the promo code 83 weeks. Take the quiz and start the perfect journey to the perfect cup of coffee. That's drinktrade.com forward slash 83 weeks. Promo code 83 weeks for your first bag free and $5 off your bundle. Ah, enjoy. Mm, That was good. Now, 
Let's get back to the show in three, two, one, play. I want to mention something that uh, was written in the newsletter that really jumped off the page to me. Um, it's from the torch. WCW planned the finishes of many of Halloween Havoc's matches with the philosophy of just trying to get out of the match without damaging either wrestler, arguably not realizing that to protect both wrestlers is to also seriously damage the company as a whole. Because I do feel like as a, a pay-per-view, uh, you know, let me qualify that again. If it's a television match. Okay. If it's a house show match. Okay. But if it's a pay-per-view match, you know, like the psychology behind me as a wrestling fan, if I'm just watching TV, it doesn't cost anything. My investment is just some time and flipping the channels. I'm going to be watching something. I'm plopped down in front of the TV. So it's this or football or some old rerun movie or what have you. And if they're coming to town, okay, I'm going to take my kid to see the big stars and buy the t-shirts and get the cotton candy or whatever. But if I'm sitting at home and in this era, you couldn't just press a button and buy a pay-per-view. You had to drive down to the cable place, get the little gimmick to put on the back of your TV. It was a bigger process. I had to be invested. I had to put forth effort. And then I had to write a check to the cable company for an extra 30 bucks. And I'm not getting the resolution that I hoped for, man, he's finally going to get what's coming to him. And it doesn't happen. I understand if you have to do that sporadically to build to the next thing, but doesn't it become Eric, eventually a fool me once fool me twice type of deal where eventually I'm just going to say, nah, nothing ever happens. I'll just wait and see what happens on the Saturday TV for free. That's where let you, you know, people that listen to me, whether it's on this podcast or in interviews that I do or on other people's podcasts, you know, I keep getting a lot of the same questions over and over and over again. And my job is to try to answer them as best I can. But when we talk about what is missing in today's wrestling presentation across the board is a sophisticated story, formula, architecture, format, whatever you want to call it, because as it was in 1993, to a large degree, the same situation still exists. You know, what we're talking about in 1993 is an example of not having long-term vision or storytelling in mind. And to a large, and, and, and I agree with what Dave said, which, which is what started you off on this, this topic about the, the, the damage that non-finishes, to paraphrase, can do in the long-term to the company's product. I absolutely agree with that. The solution is not to, well, if we're going to build this up for two or three or four or five or six weeks, whatever the buildup is, whatever the structure of that story is so that you hit the appropriate points in that story at the appropriate times in order to keep the audience invested in that story. That's what a more sophisticated storytelling architecture formula, whatever you want to call it, should have looked like in 1993 and should still look like today. And it was lacking during both of those eras or is in this case lacking uh, today, even because the solution would be not to, well, let's not have a clean finish. 
because that's a disaster. That hurts. That hurts the business. That hurts the audience's, your credibility with the audience and that relationship you have with them to convince them to part with 30 or 40 or 60 dollars every month, right? They didn't have they didn't have a formula in place that said, okay, let's really focus on this pay-per-view. We don't want to necessarily at this point in time put one talent over another talent. So let's here's where here's what didn't happen in 1993. Let's focus on an amazing finish that is so good and so well set up and we know what the what the what the arc points are going to be you know, over the next month or two months or three months however long you're going to extend that so let's focus on that finish let's come up with the best reason palatable credible emotional reason why the audience will continue watching the story post this pay-per-view instead of it was uh, what do you got? I don't know. What do you got? Well, we don't want to be either one of these guys. What do you got? Um, DQ. Count out. It was fast. It was a solution. Everybody knew it wasn't the best solution, but it was a compromise that everybody could get comfortable with. And they would convince themselves then and now that, oh, we'll figure out a way. We'll figure, we'll figure that out next week. We'll figure out a way to continue the story next week. Well, in this particular instance that we're talking about 1993, you didn't have the opportunity to do that because you disappointed the audience. You didn't even attempt to set up the next chapter in that story. That would have been done somewhere in the third act of that story. If you know you're going to have a first act of a new story or an extended story, then you have to set that up weeks, maybe even a month or two in advance. Then you'll come up with that idea. But instead, it was, oh, this is a fucking DQ, count out, uh, DQ, count out, mm, DQ. That was the extent of that thought process when it came to coming up with a finish that is going to lead to a future story. It was razor thin. It was done kind of half-ass old school from a weekly booking territory, you know, mentality and philosophy that was no longer working in, in the era of television. And that challenge still exists today. I want to ask you about another story. This is from the observer. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Dave had to write about the, uh, the whole scissor fight with Sid vicious and Arn Anderson. He wrote this. It's well known. The original plan was for vicious to win the WCW title from Vader at the same card. Then win the other world title from Rick Rude in early 93 to finally unify the belts and be pushed as the focal point of the company. We know that's not going to happen. Vicious is going to wind up out of WCW. So he's not going to be in the main event of Starcade taking on Vader. Instead, it's going to be Ric Flair and Flair and Vader steal the show. It's in Charlotte. It's a major moment in Flair's career, but it wasn't the original plan. But do you remember that being the original idea that Vicious would unify both belts and become sort of the, the brand for WCW in 1994? I don't, I don't remember it. I mean, obviously there were, there was a lot of discussion. Let's, let's be real. What we just kept on talking about was lack of long-term planning and vision, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, could we have been in a situation where, yeah, that was a topic of a conversation and people were leaning in that direction and they based on, depending on what happened two hours ago, maybe they'll change their mind or not. Yeah. 
But I don't think there was any long-term plan for anything by evidence of the television show and the pay-per-views. There was not a lot of long-term planning going on. This was a weekly booking mentality that existed in WCW at that time. Let's talk about the next um, Clash of the Champions. Meltzer would say Rick Rude retained what is now called the WCW International World Title, going to a double count out with Road Warrior Hawk in 541. He says, if this is a world title, and that seems to change daily, then this may have been the world title match on a major show in history. Hawk was wrestling with a blown out knee and couldn't do anything, which is why that was the case. But the match had a horrible finish, no psychology and no action, negative two stars. On the same show, we would see the nasty boys retain the tag titles against Davey boy and sting. But before the match, rude would attack Davey boy, give him the rude awakening on the ramp. And that begins their program. Now sting has to work the match really two on one. Not really the best start to Rick Rude's reign. This sort of flat match with Hawk. It kind of is what it is. And almost immediately, Davy Boy's fired. And the observer would say it's reportedly done to set an example about too many no shows. And on the heels of that, Davy Boy has apparently already contacted Titan about coming back. And he's definitely contacted independent promoters saying, Hey, I'm available for dates. And WCW does a major burial job of Davy Boy on TV that will probably air before you read this, according to Dave Meltzer. What do you remember about Boy? It feels like if it wasn't for bad luck, Rick Rude would have no luck at all with this title run. Specifically, we're going to start something with Davy, but can't really play it off. Another day at the office. <laughs> Notice uh, the pattern here, you know, pattern recognition is an important part of getting through my day and same pattern, you know, no plan, no thought process. Just the the plan. I mean, and I'm not saying that a lack of planning was necessarily the problem here. Obviously there were other issues with Davey, right? Yeah. Um, We all know what they are. No need to beat him up. He's not here to defend himself. So we're going to leave that part alone, but the decision was made to get rid of get rid of Davy because of things that had been happening, you know, over a, a period of recent weeks. That shit happens. Even if you would have had a great plan, that likely would have happened. But I'll also say that that type of a problem, not necessarily for those exact reasons, but that type of week to week to week, you never know what shit's going to hit the fan. You start getting used to it after a while. It's like you become nose blind to it. You know what I mean? You see it so often that it it no longer registers. And I think nose blind is a great way to say, you know how, when you're, you walk into somebody's house and maybe they cooked lasagna the night before and you walked in, you haven't smelled that smell in a while you walked in, bam, you go, wow, somebody made some great lasagna last night. And to the people who cooked the lasagna last night and enjoyed it, they don't smell a thing. They don't notice it at all. No, it, it is, it's like, you know, when people think their shit don't stink. Yeah. You ever have, you ever have a friend? Now you like this friend. You get along, you have fun together. But the guy thinks his shit doesn't stink. You overlook it. You try. This is not necessarily an endearing quality. 
I, I've got one of those friends, but he thinks his shit literally doesn't stink. Like, unbelievably so. How, how is Bruce doing? I haven't talked to him. <laughs> Bruce, I've got a friend of mine in town by the name of Mike. He and his wife come over a couple times a year, usually not over a holiday, but in a day adjacent to a holiday weekend, they'll come over and we'll cook. And I, we used to love having him over, but every time Mike came over, you know, he'd use the restroom. He'd, he'd sink up the whole fucking house. Oh, wait, you meant literally shit don't stink. No, I mean, literally shit don't stink. He thinks his shit doesn't stink. Literally thinks his shit doesn't stink. Wow. And I don't know if he's got some kind of a digestive problem <laughs> or what the fuck. Like if he eats garbage, you know, all day long, but motherfucker, in the summertime, it's okay. Cause you got windows, you know, you can walk outside with your cocktail or, you know, <laughs> finish your brisket out on the porch. Cause the house stinks so bad. Every time you use the bathroom. And the other thing I used to think about Mike is Mikey, you know, you're going to dump. Why don't you dump before you leave dump in your own house? Yeah. Maybe your nose blind to this nonsense, but the rest of us aren't. And I found something for Mike. In fact, I want to give a shout out to Donna Seaman. Donna Seaman used to work with us in WCW PR marketing. I'm pretty sure she's a fun chick. She, in fact, her and Miss Elizabeth and Janie Angle and my wife, you know, Mrs. B, because it was our house, would come out here and go trout fishing and go hiking and tear the town up for a night or two. And Donna Seaman was was there among us. But Donna and her sister came up with a friend, with with a product for my friend Mike. Not specifically, but they have this product. It's called Wabi Whiffs. Tooth spray. You know, when you walk out of the bathroom and it's not like fucking horrible, it's not a medical emergency, right? You don't only have to call in a hazmat team like Mike should, but you know, you just want to, you know, you're in somebody else's house, give it a little sprint. Or if you have people coming over, they don't want to feel like they're sticking. And Mike, except for Mike, he doesn't give two shits. Literally doesn't give two shits. He gives three or four. It's disgusting, but just a little touch up. Then he got these really cool things. Sprinkle and go toilet bombs. I'm not kidding you. They smell wonderful, clean and fresh, kind of like the ocean. You know what I mean? You just drop a couple of these bad boys in there. They fizz up and it's actually a really pretty shade of blue. And it takes about 30 seconds. You take care of your business. You flush, you walk out and nobody knows the difference. And the best part, here's my favorite one. And I, I promise I'll get out of this. These are called on the go singles. This is the thing like Dave Silva, you know, some of the people we, we both hang out with need to have some of this stuff, right? These things, it's just a little package, put them in your wallet, put them in your back pocket, whatever. And if again, you're someone else's house, it's the holidays. You don't want to embarrass yourself. Take a couple of these with you, shh, sprinkle them in there, let them dissolve for a minute, take care of your shit. Literally. And you're good to go. And somebody else can follow right behind you and not even know you were in there taking care of business. Wobby Whiffs. Go to wobbywhiffs.com. Wobbywhiffs.com forward slash 83 weeks. You're going to save a ton of money. 20% off your entire order. Anything over 50 bucks is free shipping. Go to wobbywhiffs.com. Check it out and give it to your friend who thinks his or her shit doesn't stink. Sorry. Just had to squeeze that in. You, you know, buddy, I, uh, we were about four minutes into that before I, it even crossed my mind. This might be a commercial. 
Uh, <laughs> we we have got to get a hold of Mike. I mean, does Mike does Mike listen to the show? Are you telling him? Is he going to find out from listening to this? Oh no! Well, that's why I didn't give his last name. Now he's not a huge uh, wrestling you, you, fan. There's 12 people who live in your town. There can't be that yeah. many fucking Mikes. Yeah, come over. Yeah, but the question is, will Mike be exposed to the podcast or or any of the social media that I'm sure is going to follow? Um, I don't know because I don't think he follows wrestling that closely. That's not why we're friends. Just so you know, if I ever get invited to Cody and we wind up hanging out in your favorite watering hole and Mike wanders in, when you go to the bathroom, Mike and I are going to have a conversation. No, I get here. We I literally took this off our our bathroom sink in our, in our guest bathroom sink. So we got it all here. Whatever you need. Wabby whips, W-A-B-I-W-H-I-F-F-S.com forward slash 83 weeks. And it's also a cool way to tell people, hey, dude, your shit actually does stink. So quit thinking it doesn't. I, I don't Literally. know. This is a masterful job what you've done here. Home team, visiting team, your fantasy team, no matter who you root for, we're all on the same team when it comes to COVID-19. BioNTech and Pfizer remind you to please consider getting vaccinated. Uh, let's talk about Davy boy a little bit more here. Uh, he's supposed to be allegedly challenging Rick rude uh, at Starcade, Uh, but they're going to do a taping on December 13th at center stage where they play his music for a match with rude, but he's not there. So it's like, uh, Hey, he's a chicken who no showed a contracted match. Uh, and it's like Vince point, McMahon, but whatever, go on at that point, the boss, former big boss man would show up. And promptly defeat Rude in a non-title match to set up a pay-per-view match between the two. So let's remind everybody: the Big Boss Man is fresh off WWF TV, and a lot of people, as that character, assume he's going to be able to use a similar character here in WCW. That is not the case. Uh, he had a less than awesome run, but people are already speculating. He'll be back in the WWF in early 94. In fact, he had even worked shows in California right before popping up here. This is a surprise here. This WCW taping, having the boss man. Do you remember Ray trailer coming in here? And had you seen any of his work as the big boss man? Was this exciting to you or just another day at the office that he's showing up in WCW? I, I mean, I, I certainly I was aware of Big Boss Man and WWF. Again, when I say I didn't watch on a regular basis, I didn't put it on my calendar. You know, I didn't make, I didn't plan my week around it. Oh, I got to watch it because I'm, I need to know what's going on with it. It was none of that shit. If on a Monday, you know, night prior to Nitro, obviously, um, I got home in time and was able to have dinner, um, and there was nothing else going on. Sure, I'd sit down and watch at least some of Monday Night Raw. So I was aware of him, but it wasn't like I was following him. And I, I had never met Ray trailer before coming to WCW immediately. You know, we got along great. Just even though we had never met before, it was an authentic, genuine kind of, we enjoyed being around each other, sense of humor, you know, that kind of stuff. He was a fun guy to be around. Ray was a hoot, you know, ended up taking, you know, Ray took my son and I uh, deer hunting. Uh, actually Garrett, um, got his very first deer with, uh, Ray trailer and Rick Steiner. So 
Yeah, I dug, I dug right. But I, it wasn't because I was so familiar with his WWF work. I was just aware of it. According to um, the newsletters, uh, the, the, the observer at the time, Roddy Piper was originally talked about for this Davy boy replacement, but it winds up being boss man. And the torch would say Jesse Ventura was flown into Atlanta this past week, just to dub commentary over one match boss man versus rude. And then was sent home. He may not do Starcade because he's been used for all of his 50 scheduled dates that his contract allows. And the observer would say that Smith negotiated some sort of deal with bill Watts for a certain amount of money per match, which was supposedly a thousand dollars. And he was under the impression that on dates, he wasn't working for WCW. He was free to work independent shows, which is consistent with what Watts had said about the contracts that he was signing up people with during that time period. He also agreed to let him go tour Japan since he already had a deal with giant Baba before he sounds to me like he was the originator of the open door policy or forbidden door policy or whatever it's called. Right. Maybe a little bit. Anyway, the concept is the European tour is where Davy boy received the same payday, which would have been late October, early November. He had complained about the money and it wound up with him saying he's not going to the house shows unless he got what he felt he was due for the European tour. Apparently nobody at WCW contacted him to sort all this out. And so on November 30th, he taped the angle where he beat Rick rude to set up their planned match at Starcade. He then missed the TV taping in Dalton and then quit unless the European money was made good. So WCW then fired him citing the missed show. So I kind of agree with Davey here as, as Wade lays it out. Hey man, a thousand dollars in the States kind of is what it is, but in Europe, I'm worth a lot more and I should be paid commensurate to that. Not the same thousand bucks. And I guess that's a wrap. So let's talk about Starcade. Rick Rude retains the WCW international world title, whatever we're calling the big gold belt today, pinning the boss, AKA Ray trailer, AKA big Bubba, AKA the big boss man in nine minutes and eight seconds. Meltzer would say boss man crossed himself on the ropes and rude pinned him with a sunset flip. It was not nearly as good as their television match, but rude got a good hit reaction coming out. So some people haven't caught on. They should not even worry about unification. They should just make this belt disappear Two stars. What do you think about that? The idea that on some level, when it's not working, just scrap it. I think a lot has to do with how much time and effort has been invested in trying to make it work. I think if you've done everything that you can do and you've looked at as many different creative options as possible. And you come to the conclusion this shit isn't going to work then absolutely. Sometimes you just got to pull the plug, hit delete, start over fresh page. And eventually the audience, hopefully will, will let it go. Um, But as was probably the case here, not a lot of time and effort went into it. And I don't blame Davey boy, the way you laid that story out based on Wade Keller's reporting. Good job, Wade. Um, I'd have been right there with Davey. If you promise one thing and then given something else and 
someone's trying to convince you that, no, it's just a date. It doesn't matter that we're in Europe, which is the reason you're here anyway, because we can't really build a European tour without you. That's kind of bullshit. It's unfortunate. So in December, some more bad news for Rick Rude. Uh, he's going to be a part of a civil suit that was filed. Uh, based on Randy Jordan, who was 32 at the time, and Johnny Small, who was 39 at the time, claiming they were assaulted the prior summer here at Coyote Joe's nightclub on Wilkinson Boulevard in Charlotte. Supposedly, uh, Jordan uh, and, and, and Small were in a nightclub around midnight on August 13th, when, according to the lawsuit, Knobs and Rude were harassing a bar patron Small stepped in and asked them to leave the guys alone. And according to the lawsuit, Rude and Knob started beating the shit out of him. Mm. Quote, one of the nasty boys did me a belly to belly slam on the floor and then had a thumb in my eye, trying to pull my eyeball out. The girlfriend said the only reason she knew I was under there, she's seen a little piece of my shirt under the big guy. The lawsuit also accused Coyote Joe's management of ignoring employee warnings that an assault was about to take place. And, uh, the general manager of the bar said, we were not notified that there was any sort of lawsuit. Truth be known. It was a minor infraction. Small and Jordan are asking for $10,000 in actual and punitive damages. This isn't something you hear a lot about, but I'm sure it's something that guys had to deal with a lot. If they wound up in a bar at midnight drinking and some civilians are involved. It feels like, uh, when they realize, wait a minute, these are TV stars. Maybe I can get some money out of this deal. Let's say, I think it's a little bit, I mean, I've been in, you know, fortunately I've never been, um, at the, at the center of situations like that, but I've seen it play out, you know, and I think you get any number of, uh, negative intersections, you know, when you put wrestling talent, general public alcohol, it's a perfect recipe, depending on the talent in the bar and the clientele of the bar, it's a perfect recipe for, you know, shit to go down. I've seen it. And for the, I want to really be sure I'm clear about this. 98% of the time, 99% of the time people that I'm around and in situations, even going back 20 years now, you know, hotel bar after nitro being the best one, you, you know, wrestling fans know you're going to be there. You know, you can't avoid it. You know, the bar's filled with wrestling fans, you know, especially as we started getting hot, it was more like a hot Friday night in the club than a Monday night in the club. We were blowing away Monday night football in these particular, and a lot of the, the hotel bars were sports bars. So, you couldn't avoid it. And there was alcohol. So you got wrestlers, you got civilians that are wrestling fans and you got alcohol. 99% of the time, you never had an issue. Fans were very respectful. Sure. They wanted a little bit of your time. They wanted a picture if they could get one, but I've rarely ever seen um, situations where, you know, I was concerned about a fight breaking out, but there have been some. And more often than not, it's not the civilian just happened to be in the wrong place in the wrong time. And as that complaint pointed out, you know, this individual, the guy is asking, just well, kind of walked over to the bar and asked, you know, Rick and, and, um, and now I'm seeing a politely, Hey, leave these guys alone. 
okay, that sounds good on paper. I've seen more situations where civilians are trying to make their bones or good credibility, if you will, in the local bar by trying to start shit with the talent. Seen it. I saw a guy do it to Big Show. Come on, people are stupid when you, certain people get real stupid when they start drinking. And it's like they want to fuck her. They think it's fun. You know, they've lost their sense of judgment, right? And they think it's just a big joke or it'll be funny or their friends will think that they're, you know, whatever for, for fucking with a wrestling talent. And depending on who that wrestling talent is, you can get your head fucking caved in. I've seen that. Rarely seen wrestling fans, you know, being obnoxious to wrestling talent, you know, and disrespectful. But I've seen those situations where people, you know, they, they stepped out of their lane. They weren't appropriate. They were egging it on. I, like I said, I watched a guy egging on Paul White in a bar till he disappeared. <laughs> Boom. Come on, where'd he go? Oh, he's down there. Silly. Why would you do that? Why would you do that to anybody? Especially somebody that's, you know, professional wrestler. Cause the odds are they're a professional wrestler for a reason. Not the least of which is at the very least they're tough as hell. So from the observer year end awards, Rick rude would win the most unimproved award. Uh, Sid vicious is second followed by Lex Luger, Mr. Perfect and Rick flair, whatever that means. Uh, new Japan announces that they've got a March tour. That's going to happen from the fifth to the 24th. A lot of American talent on there, like Scott Norton, Hercules, nasty boys, but also Rick rude. And, uh, Meltzer would say that in exchange, great Muda is going to be in WCW in April. They're trying to reestablish some, some major talent swaps here. And Rick rude carrying the WCW international heavyweight championship over is something that is pretty appealing to them. Um, but the torch would say, given how far his work rate has fallen over the last year, he thinks that's an interesting decision, but still Japan sees him as a star. So here we are. Uh, Clash of the Champions on January 27th, which would be the television debut of Bobby the Brain Heenan in the final show of the Dusty Rhodes era. Uh, Meltzer would say, turned out to be just another show. It was thumbs down by a uh, significant margin of the readers. The show drew 3,200 fans to the Centroplex in Baton Rouge. Only about half of those were paid. And uh, we would see Ric Flair team with Sting here to take on Vader and Rick rude. It's an elimination tag match that goes 22 minutes and 27 seconds. Rick rude and Vader did a, did a more badass team ever exist, dude. Mm. And I put all my money on Rick rude on that one, but yeah, that two tough guys. I could in, in as far as take real life out of it. It doesn't matter. It's silly, childish bullshit, but in the context of the, who'd win a fight between those two, that's like high school shit. But in terms of two guys that could just lay it into each other and enjoy doing it inside of the ring for television or pay-per-view, that was an awesome team. But them, yeah, them, them on one side against Flair and Sting. I mean, we're firmly cementing Flair as a babyface when he's teaming with Sting. And, man, you want to talk about the big bully of a heel that Vader was, given everything we saw with him and Flair at Starcade, and now... Rick rude. Who's been stings rival since the day he showed up. This is good stuff. Um, Rick rude has a, a lengthy chin lock. Like he did in a lot of matches in this era. 
Uh, he's going to do a reverse tombstone pile driver. Sting's going to do the rude awakening. Uh, and after reversing the tombstone, Sting is going to win with a splash off the top rope, three and a quarter stars. And it's announced that Rick Rude and Sting are going to appear at a dome show on May 1st for New Japan. And before you know it, they start planning for the April pay per view, which is going to be Spring Stampede. And people are talking that it might be Flair versus Muda in the main event. And then maybe they start teasing, hey, it could be Flair and Rude both defending their respective titles. Of course, there are other plans. Um, the Spring Stampede show was at least once upon a time advertised as Rick Rude versus Sting for the WCW International title. And the preliminary plan for the Slamboree show was going to have Rude defending his title against Vader in a heel versus heel match. And at least in the meantime, they're doing house shows that are really, frankly, poorly attended 750 people in Sebring, Florida, and only 2000 in Lakeland, Florida to see flair team with sting and the boss to take on Ron Simmons, Vader and Rick rude. Talk about disheartening when you've got flair and sting and the former big boss man and ravishing Rick rude and Vader and all these big stars and 750 people are there. Something's a miss. Yeah, it, it was, it, <laughs> it was a lot of things, you know, part of it was for so long, even in, you know, 90, 91, 92, 93, WCW was so poor and, and it was so poorly attended. We, we had such a difficult time of getting attendance at live events or even television or pay-per-views. Just nobody cared. And part of it was because in the year or two or three, depending on where you were on this timeline, WCW started papering houses like fucking crazy. I mean, did not care. There was only one goal, get people in the arena, however you could do it, because the talent isn't drawing. Stories aren't drawing. So let's do whatever we have to do to get the bodies in the arena. So at least if we're going to produce this stuff for television, it looks good. Well, you start conditioning your market, your audience, your fans to realize that you never have to buy a ticket. You'll get them for free. Over time, what do you think happens to those markets? You can't sell a ticket. You've been giving this shit away for free now for years. Did I ever tell you my story about my first experience with a hooker? No. I met this hooker. I didn't know she was a hooker. Now, I'm like, how old was I at the time? Maybe 20. I was going to college, 1920, whatever. Going to college, St. Cloud State University, got a bunch of friends. Everybody says, hey, we can do this big charter to Vegas for like $99 round trip. And we stay at this hotel. It was like the old, it was in the old Vegas part of town. I can't remember the name of it. But I mean, it was as low, low rent as you could possibly, but $99 round trip from Minneapolis. Who the fuck's not going to try to do that? Right. So me and my buddies started, we left on a Thursday night and we started partying all the way there on this charter flight to Las Vegas. Anyway, I'll fast forward. So I, and I had no money at the time. Does that mean zero? I might've had 75 or a hundred dollars in cash to my name. Probably had a credit card that had a hundred dollar limit on it, you know. So I, I wasn't like heavy with cash. 
but I went to Vegas anyway. I figured what the fuck I could afford the package. So I go to Las Vegas, the, the, the last second, third, last night I'm there. And, and I had a similar thing happen to me at the Omni hotel once too, but I'm sitting there at the bar. It's like two o'clock in the afternoon. We're supposed to leave like on a flight at seven. So I'm all packed out of my hotel room. And this really gorgeous girl, she was young. She was like me, 20, 25, 22, whatever. Um, sitting at the bar and we strike up a conversation. And next thing I know, it's like, we're up in my room. Now, at this point, I didn't know she was a hooker. At this point, I thought I was just smoking hot. I thought I need to move to Las Vegas. I'm this fucking chick magnet that's up in northern Minnesota in a small college when I could be here in Vegas pulling absolutely gorgeous women. What am I doing wrong? Who needs to go to college? So as I'm planning my move to Las Vegas, because all of a sudden I'm finding out who I really am in the eyes of hot women, I'm up in my room and she says, uh, that'll be $100. $100 for what? Because it didn't dawn on me immediately. And then she tells me, you know, she's a hooker. Well, that kind of blew the, the event for me. You know, A, because I didn't have $100. <laughs> Therein lies the real reason. But B, it's like, whoa. Now, if she had not hit me with a price tag, I would have been very excited about that and maybe revisited you know, come back to Las Vegas, look her up again. And, you know, who knows? A relationship could have blossomed. But once you start giving it away, nobody's going to pay for it. And it's the same story. You, you give this shit away, you give this shit away, and eventually it has no value. and People don't come back. I stayed in Minnesota, right? Um, I don't know why I went off on that tangent, but my point is you can't give tickets away every time you're in a market some markets we were in three times a year, four times a year, some more for television that were close. Um, in the future, you ever that. want to get my attention, start with, Hey, did I ever tell you about my first time? <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry if that was a letdown, by the way, I, no, I don't I mean, know that it helped prove my point or not. My point just, is once you give this shit away, you can't charge anybody for it. I just need to know what the payoff was. You know, you said you didn't have a hundred dollars. I assumed that you had already done the deed and then you No, didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Okay. I couldn't. I didn't have a hundred bucks. I thought it was I'm not one sure of I those. had a hundred bucks when I landed. <laughs> I'm just glad she didn't wind up in a trunk somewhere. Nope. Um, let's talk about Super Brawl, Albany, Georgia, Civic Center. Uh, seventy six hundred folks are there. There's a uh, 4,217 that paid, but the total gates only 39,000, but believe it or not, it's written in the observer. The group was pleased out of their mind with the turnout. And here's one of the things they did because they, they thought they were going to have to like block off most of the arena because ticket sales were not moving, but they did a gimmick where they gave away four free tickets to anyone who turned in a handgun. So we got 290 <laughs> guns here. <laughs> and yeah. Oh my God. You know, what's so perfect is that that's coming, that piece of information, which I did, I'm not even sure I ever was aware of it, is coming right off my once you give it away, you 
can't charge for it conversation. God dang it. That was beautiful. That was a handgun. <laughs> Get you four tickets. Uh, but, but as stupid as it sounds, because how stupid was that? It was pretty bad. I'm not expect. I wouldn't be shocked if I hear some town somewhere doing the same thing. Well, let me mention the show, even though we all agree was bad, did 99,000 buys, which they're acting like back then was just awful. A lot of companies running pay-per-views these days that do not do 99,000 buys. Uh, we've got sting and Brian Pillman and Dustin Rhodes teaming up to take on Rick Rude, Steve Austin, and Paul Orndorff. I want to run through that one more time. Sting hall of famer, Brian Pillman hall of famer, Dustin Rhodes hall of famer. Rick Rude, Hall of Famer, Steve Austin, biggest star in the history of the business, and Paul Orndorff, Hall of Famer. I don't care if they're in the Halls of Fames or not. Everybody understands. Yep. These are all big time Hall of Fame talent. And this is the first ever Thunder Cage match. And uh, a lot of juice, a lot of action, four and a quarter stars. Uh, Meltzer would say the highlight was Austin on the apron and Rose Rhodes need him. And he took the bump and pretty much crotched, crotched himself on the cage. Um, after the match, Rude slammed the door on sting's head and left him laying with the rude awakening to set up the next pay-per-view show. Of course, the baby faces are victorious, but still a lot of big time stars, a lot of super capable in-ring performers, a lot of talent. Even though we're saying this was a interesting time for WCW, that match was badass, dude. Don't remember it. I'd have to go back and watch it to, to be fair. It sounds exciting as you laid it out. I'd be curious as to what the story was like leading up to it and the quality of it. Um, but yeah, it sounds, sounds like a, Shit, it sounds like what a cage match should, should sound like if there was a good story leading up to it because it's it's action that you don't normally see and it sounds like it was done really, really well. The holidays are just around the corner. Are you looking for the perfect gift for your loved ones? Skylight is the perfect gift. This has been a home run for me. I did it three years ago. I'm proud to say that Skylight has made me look good to my mother-in-law. And isn't that what we all want? want to give a good gift to moms and grandmas and aunts and uncles and yep even the mother-in-law for a really special gift for the special people in your life you've just got to check out skylight frame now check this out skylight frame is a photo frame that you can update instantly by email from anywhere it's a great way to feel close to those even when you're separated it sets up effortlessly in under 60 seconds you just plug it in use the touch screen to connect to your wireless network and enjoy Sending photos to Skylight is effortless. Everyone in the family can just email them to a personal email address to pop up in seconds. Multiple people can send photos to the frame, so it's a great way to keep large networks of family and friends in touch. And it's also a black frame with a white map, so it looks like a real photo frame that adds beautiful touch to your home. Skylight frame has a gorgeous 10-inch touchscreen. You can swipe through photos with your finger, even tap to thank the person who sent a photo and check this out. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love your skylight, they'll offer you a full refund. And here's what I did. A little life hack. I preloaded photos on my mother-in-law's skylight frame. So when she opened it and plugged it in, boom, a bunch of new photos she'd never seen were right there. 
It's so simple. Even my non-tech-savvy mother-in-law could set it up. So don't worry about that. Right now is a special offer. You can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter the code 83weeks. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase, Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter the code 83weeks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com. And the promo code is 83weeks. There's a, an interesting moment here where the Vicki Lawrence show has sting Rick rude, Johnny B bad, Jesse Ventura and Missy Hyatt on. This is right around the same time that the WWF and Vince McMahon had been indicted and the whole steroid thing comes up and Ventura says WCW has a testing problem, has a, a, a testing program and Meltzer sort of makes fun of it, but dusty, not dusty, but Jesse doubles down on Vince McMahon's indictment. And then when they get around to sting, he says something like there's nothing in my body except brand muffins. This is a bad spot for everyone to be in. And apparently only Rick rude notices that because as soon as Ventura gives his steroid answer, Rick rude doesn't say another word, the entire show. I don't know if that's for obvious reasons. And I say obvious, I wasn't there, but I think most people assume Rick rude used steroids and he didn't think they were nearly a, the, the villain that the media was presenting them to be at the time, or he knew, Hey man, I just wrestled on a house show in front of 750 people. And I'm planning on being a wrestler for a long time. I'm not going to say shit against Vince McMahon right now. Which do you think it was? Probably a little bit of both. And what about Jesse Ventura? Has Jesse Ventura ever used steroids? Of course he has. Come on. Okay. So that could have been part of the factor too. Not only was Rick thinking about his future and the way to respond to something like that. He's also sitting next to a guy from North Minneapolis, by the way, which is where Jesse was from or lived for a long time, um, which is where Rick Rude was from by the way, um, and knowing that Jesse was being hypocritical. Not only was he, you know, of course, Jesse's Jesse. Jesse wanted his shot to lash out at Vince McMahon, and he took it. But at the same time, he was taking it to a lot of the guys in the business or just the business and, and was doing it despite the fact that Jesse was a part of it. That's pretty fucking hypocritical. I'm surprised all Rick did was sit there and take it. Rick, I know, was probably debating whether or not he wanted to blister and, and embarrass Ventura on television, but opted to just sit there and keep his tongue in his mouth. Professionally, the right thing to do. Yeah. But that's pretty bullshit, actually. Uh, in the torch, which is dated March 12th, they're covering things that happened the week of March 7th uh, or through then which would include uh, February 28th TV taping at center stage where Oakland would interview sting. Who's complaining about Rick rude, giving him uh, avoided giving him the title shot, but he says he has an ACE in the hole and on his way to the ring for a squash, two women who were plants jumped out of the crowd and tried to get to Rick rude. Doug Dillinger starts to escort the women away, but rude signals for one of them to be freed. She comes back gets rude's autograph and phone number. Then he kissed her and she fainted. 
And then Rude wins the squash. And then Sting interrupts the interview. He goes up to the women in the crowd, took the paper that Rude signed from her. And then Sting revealed that he put her there and it was a carbon sheet of paper. And what Rick Rude signed was actually a contract for the international title shot. Sting thanked Rick Rude for adding his phone number next to his name, which is kind of fun. Nice little way for the baby face to outsmart the heel. What do you think of that creative? It's cute. It's a little chilly. I mean, a little kitty, a little campy, a little, a little, yeah, easy. a little, but at least some thought went into it. I'm, well, I'm happy to hear that, but it's kind of childlike to me. How do you believe that? How do you, how do you, how do you no, get, I mean, you're right. I, I prefer yeah. when sting shot lasers out of his eyes at Jake, the snake. Yeah. And, and when just, you guys blew up that boat that sting was on, you know, you yeah. had a little person dressed like a shark way more believable there. <laughs> hey, I didn't do it, brother. No, I know. I'm just saying WCW and listen, I know a lot of times we look back at this and you would say, and you did, eh, it's a little childlike. We're, we're trying to sell action figures. You know, we're trying to sell kids shit. You know, the, when you talk to Jim Hurd, who I know has been villainized, but I think you should go check out conversations with Conrad at adfreeshows.com. There was a lot of reasoning to a lot of the stuff that he did, including he got the core sponsorships on, on the, uh, the ring posts. He got uh, WCW, a, a, a shoe deal with ruse. Uh, he, he started to do business with Hershey's and Eminem Mars. And uh, there were a lot of big sponsorships that he brought to the table and a lot of great matches happened on his watch. We were introduced to Vader. We were introduced to the Steiners. I mean, they became big stars with him. You were introduced to Eric Bischoff. You were introduced to Eric Bischoff. I mean, so there's a lot of really good stuff, including all the great stuff that happened with flair and steamboat. And then Terry Funk coming back and really having some of his biggest, most high profile on a national scene stuff. So. There's a lot of good stuff that happened with Jim Hurd, but it feels like he was onto something to me when he talked about, I wanted the macho man because they had Hulk Hogan and we couldn't get a serious conversation with Hulk, but macho was really, really popular with the kids. And that was an opportunity. And of course, eventually we saw it happen, but again, he was second fiddle to Hogan when he came over once again in WCW, but the, the kids Hulk Hogan had them. Sting was WCW's best shot to capture those kids. And they tried time and time again, and it never worked as well as when they had flair on top. So I understand that even though it didn't work, people could say, oh, well, it didn't work. And here's why and blah, blah, blah. But even when things don't work, it doesn't mean they weren't worth a try. And so angling the kids and positioning storylines for kids and what have you, I think. Hey, it's a worthwhile endeavor. And this, I agree, was aimed at kids, but it feels like a 30-minute sitcom or a Saturday morning cartoon or and it is for kids, but that doesn't mean it's any is it's still well done to me. I thought this was well done. I agree. I agree with everything that you just said, but here's here's what I would say was the miscalculation by Jim Hurd. You're not going to get a teen and preteen audience on TBS. If you go back and you look at the history of TBS and the content that got TBS to the dance and helped them grow as a superstation, if you go back and look at the programming 
in the way TBS was being positioned in its early stages and how it branded itself. You're not going to get a young audience on, on TBS. So you're trying to entertain a television audience that is inherently because of the recent history of how your cable outlet was established, programmed, designed, and created to attract a much older demo. There was nothing wrong with the idea. The mistake was trying to attract teens and preteens to a network that was branded for 45 to 65-year-old audiences. And that wasn't Jim Hurd's fault. Because Jim Hurd at that time, I would imagine, obviously, you know, I was only there for a brief moment of Jim Hurd's career. But if, if the idea was let's come, let's, and this is what separated, I'm not trying to put myself over Jim Hurd here. I'm re really, really not. But I've talked ad nauseum about how when I was um, mandated to create Nitro and go head to head with WWE, I knew I would fail if I tried to go after the same audience they were going after. Couldn't do it. Jim Hurd tried. But how do you do, how do you make that choice? to invest the effort and the time of establishing yourself with an audience that you're never going to attract. No matter what you do, they're not coming to TBS. That was the flaw. It wasn't the, the flaw wasn't with the execution of the idea. The flaw was with the decision to try on that particular network. It just wasn't going to work. It was impossible. It was an impossible task to compete with the WWE for a teen and preteen audience at that time. They had a monopoly on it with wrestling. And the nature of the TBS network and the core audience that comes with it, there's just no kids watching that show, and that's why it failed. So New Japan is going to announce that Rick Rude is going to be defending what they're calling the WCW Inter International Heavyweight Title against Hiroshi Hase at the Tokyo Gym, uh, and then again uh, eight days later, uh, they tape uh, some shows at Center Stage on March third. Uh, they're going to air on April second. That would have Sting and Pillman beat Roma and Orndorff when Sting pinned Roma. After the match, Rude would attack Sting, give him the Rude Awakening. And it's written here. Apparently, there is some heat because Rude is refusing to drop the trap, drop the strap to Sting, which was the company's original plan. I know you're not exactly booking television here in 94, but do you remember there being an issue with Rick Rude refusing to drop the belt? Yeah, I don't I, I'm not buying I, I'm not gonna agree with refusing Rick. No, now he'll force the issue and force you to discuss it. He'll threaten. He would have threatened. He would have intimidated, but that's because he wasn't satisfied with his contribution to the story, or maybe he didn't understand the why of it all, which a lot of talent didn't care about. They just want to get their paychecks. A lot of, you know, some talent doesn't ever ask why or what happens next. They just want to execute what they're asked to do and do it as well as they can and move on to the next job. 
Um, but Rick Rude wasn't like that. He had to understand and you had to give a sufficient answer. And yeah. by the way, Rick Rude wasn't alone in that respect. A lot of top talent that actually cared were in that same kind of, you know, for different reasons and they would manifest it or, or exhibit it different ways. But, you know, whether it was Rick Rude or Hulk Hogan, you know, the best way that I found eventually to creatively keep Hulk on the same page was to do what I should have done in the first place, which is make sure I've thought through the idea, not just what happens leading up to something, but what happens afterwards. Where does that talent go afterwards? And what is the story? Even if the, if the answer is you go away for three months, okay, why and how? And how do we explain my return? So you, when you lay out an idea, you lay out a complete idea to talent. Now, sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes the situation doesn't necessarily warrant it. But when you're working with top people, I've found the hard way, by the way, <laughs> the hard way, I've found that the best way to convince somebody of your idea is not just laying out all the exciting things that are leading up to a moment, but to be able to answer the question because you've actually thought it through, not because you're flying by the seat of your pants and making shit up as you go, which comes back to haunt you, by the way, I've been there too. But when somebody asks you, a talent would ask you, okay, I understand this, I understand this, and this is going to be the finish. But what happens then? If you've thought through what happens then, as well as you've thought through what happens leading up to then, chances are you're going to get talent on board. But more often than not, that's not the case. People don't think through the ideas to that extent. Go back to story structure and formula. But with Rude, if he wasn't satisfied, if you weren't, if you weren't answering the question why, which is another way of saying what's my character's motivation, what are the stakes? What's the journey? They're not going to say it that way, but that's what they want to know. Why is the story a story? And how does it end and what happens then? Rick was one of those guys that would get in your face and, and, and force it. it didn't, it's not the same thing as refusing. Rick didn't have the opportunity to refuse. Rick did have the opportunity and took advantage of it to force a conversation that should have taken place organically. By now, you've probably seen about a thousand gift guides for the holiday season. You got gifts for moms, gifts for guys, gifts for your neighbors, dogs, cousins. Come on. You could study all those gift guides and like shop at 10 different places, or you could just start your shopping at Raycon and get a gift everyone will use Raycon wireless earbuds. This is the way to do it, man. The wife and I, heck, Big Booty, Judy, everybody in our life knows about Raycon. And what I like about Raycon the best is the battery life. What Megan likes about Raycon the best is that she can listen to podcasts, listens to music, or take phone calls. What Eric Bischoff likes the best is that he has a customizable way to do it. He couldn't do earbuds before Raycon, but he can now. And Jim Ross is all about that bass, baby. Raycons give you amazing audio quality wherever you go, whether you use them to pump up, wind down, work out, or just work. They'd be useful for anyone and everyone on your list. Even better for you, they start at half the price of the other premium audio brands. With their latest model, you get three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds its best with just the right amount of bass. 
pure mode, which is for like podcasts or blues or instrumental. The balanced mode, which is also for podcasts, but rock and heavy metal. And then bass mode. Come on. Hip-hop, ADM, reggae, all of JR's favorites. Raycons are available in five, that's right, five stylish colors. So you can pick a perfect one for everyone on your list. With free shipping and returns, gifting is easier than ever. The holidays are coming up faster than you think. Now is the time to knock out that gift list and avoid the last-minute shopping scramble, especially because right now my listeners can get 15% off site-wide with the code HOLIDAY at buyraycon.com slash 83weeks. Go to buyraycon.com slash 83weeks and use the code HOLIDAY and you'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash 83weeks. And the promo code is holiday. Well, ultimately, um, he is going to drop it before we talk there. We should, we should mention that, uh, the, the whole issue with the lawsuit we talked about fighting in a bar rude and knobs figure out what this is about. So they countersue these two fellows for in excess of $10,000. The idea being, okay, you're suing me for 10 grand. I'm going to see you for more than 10 grand. And before you know it, he finds himself in Japan and he's going to drop the belt to Hase in 16 minutes and 52 seconds. Of course, they're going to have a rematch at the time it's speculated in the newsletters, specifically the observer that they'll never acknowledge that this happened, uh, because it's probably going to switch back. So it won't be acknowledged in the U.S., but it's the first major singles uh, heavyweight title won by Hase, who's probably the best worker in the company. Um, it does create a rematch, as we mentioned earlier. It was going to happen eight days later. It's a sellout, eighty-five hundred fans, and what do you know? Rick Rude regains it. A little old school action there. Uh, it also makes the newsletter in uh, early April. Rick Rude's manager on his last tour was named Lady Love, and she didn't look familiar at all but she played a part in several of Rude's matches in the match where he regained the title. Hase was on the top rope and she sat on the apron by him and hiked up her skirt, distracting him, allowing Rude to DDT Hase off the top, do a full Nelson front drop, similar to a Russian leg sweep, and then win by submission. She also distracted the ref in Rude's single match against Chono, allowing Rude to use a low blow, which led to a pin. Lady love. How about that? Who is she? I'm going to throw that in our Google machine right now. Oh, I thought, I mean, I thought maybe there was a surprise at the end of that lady love said, because I was, you know, who is lady love, right? I don't know. Uh, let's, uh, let's keep it going and let's talk about, uh, what's next for Rick rude here, uh, for spring stampede sting is going to win the international title from Rick rude in 13 minutes and nine seconds. Harley race would come out before the match. So Vader could challenge the winner. Uh, sting would, uh, whip race over the top rope, clothesline route over the top rope and uh, a typical rude match. He would say he didn't love it. Gave it two stars. Finally. Well, though race gets a chair rude and Stinger back into the same position. Uh, and, and, and risk uh, race splits the back of rude's head hard way with this chair. Uh, several minutes after the match, they interview Rude, who's complaining about Vader, and they start getting into it. So we've got heel versus heel now. We're moving away from Rick Rude versus a babyface Flair or Rick Rude versus a babyface Sting. 
Now it's Rick rude, the heel versus a heel Vader and ads were everywhere for the slam pay-per-view where it listed just one match. Rick rude defends his WCW world title against Vader. Despite the fact that rude was never WCW world champion, that's the wrong belt. And he's now dropped the title to sting WCW at times in this era, or for a lot of WCW's run feels a little bit like the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Well, that was clearly true across the board. Uh, I would even suggest at Turner corporate as it relates to WCW. So it was trickle down, right? Um, but you know, flair was booking now at this point, I'm pretty sure. And we both know and love Rick, but conflict isn't something that normally Rick at that point gravitated towards, you know, it was path of least resistance compromise. Um, perhaps that's what Rick, Rick was in an impossible spot. We've talked about this before, you know, when you're Rick flair, you're Rick freaking flair and you have the success and the notoriety and the respect from many people, but not from all people who are a peer, right? Rick didn't, Rick wasn't squeaky clean as it relates to his relationship with some talent because he was in the locker room with them. It's natural and everybody's going to love you. Now you take that guy that not everybody's that you're in a locker room with is going to necessarily love you. Some may not even like you and some may not even trust you for valid and invalid reasons, but now you're the booker. So you try to make everybody happy. You try to keep the team together. You tr and that eventually ends up being compromised and that those compromises tend to dilute story and logic. Next up, uh, over in new Japan, Rick Rude is going to regain the WCW international title from sting in 22 minutes and 48 seconds. And you're a ringside here. Sting came out to a big pop. The fans were booing rude. Uh, once again, sting was distracted by Rude's manager slash valet lady love. And this is a big deal because I believe this is going to be the end of Rick Rude's in-ring career. I did not know until my research that you were over there for this. What do you remember? Uh, first of all, the big pop wasn't for staying. It was for me. Oh, okay. So you know, got it. <laughs> um, where was this at? What city? They were over in Japan. I think what month was it? May 1st, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. We were in Fukuoka. Yes. Say that a bunch of times. Fukuoka, Fukuoka, Fukuoka. Wow. Um, that was an amazing trip. Amazing trip. I'd never been to Fukuoka and in the spring it's the cherry blossom festival and all that. I mean, it's beautiful. You know, there's no other way to say it. The city was beautiful at night. The way they lit up the trees along the riverbanks was just Gorgeous. And the Fukuoka Dome, where it was located, um, was near a, a big, beautiful kind of public park along the river. I think it was along the river. And they have this, it, basically, it was a, oh, there's a name for it. I can't think of it right now. But it's like this old style of Japanese street cooking. 
if you will. So, but it was, and it was everywhere. And you could just go from, you know, kiosk to kiosk to kiosk, you know, having all this really, uh, you know, in some cases, ancient Japanese food and the way it was prepared and some of it modern, obviously there was so much, but it was like going to like 50 acres of some of the best Japanese food you could find. And after the event, we went to that, you know, we were out on the street and uh, it was, that was a fun trip. Such a fun trip. Lori was there with me. I don't think we took the kids to that one. So it was just Lori and I, but we had an absolute blast hanging out with Masa Saito and his wife, Michi. Um, it was great. That's what I remember. That and the fact that the Japanese audience, I was over with the Japanese audience. Let me describe the the scene here. Uh, this is, if you've watched many tapes from Japan, you've probably seen this before. It's where they have the ring elevated. And yeah. if you watched WrestleMania six, you may have even seen it there. So the ring itself is on a platform, but so is, uh, or so are rather the, uh, the mats around the ring. And then, you know, a few feet down, there's the floor to the arena where they would have a guardrail and fans and seating and what have you, but they elevate the ring either to line up with the ramp or to have a better seat for everyone or to shoot over people's heads or just make sure that everyone has a better line of sight, whatever. But there's comes a time in a match where Rick Rude is on the outside of the ring selling and here comes sting flying at him. And they've done this a million times. It's an over the top rate, over the top rope dive that Sting was famous for. But unlike in America, where everything is flat almost all the time, there's a platform here in Japan. And so when Rude goes to catch him and they fall, they don't just fall on the platform, they don't just fall on the flat surface. It's a combination of both. And unfortunately, all of Sting's weight is what's going to keep that momentum going. And the exact corner of that platform, which I don't know, 12, 18 inches, whatever it is, that's where Rick falls. So instead of falling flat on his back, like most wrestlers are trained to their whole life, he's trying to do that. But unfortunately the surface is not flat and it is a perfect combination for a really, really long-term injury for Rick Root. His, this effectively ends his in-ring career. And you were there, but I'm sure in that moment, uh, it's probably hard to know what's real and what's Memorex, right? Like on some level, it could have just been part of the match. And, and that's maybe what keeps us going. You know, we always want to know, okay, well, that was real. Well, this was real. And allegedly rude blamed sting for being careless when he dove. And there were hurt feelings and I believe heat between the two and sting says that the guys made up with each other when rude ultimately came back to WCW years later. But what do you remember of this injury when it happened? Did you know that night later that night or, or on the trip back that he was hurt? I really didn't. I really didn't because I was there on business before the event in Fukuoka and I, I, I didn't travel with, with talent on the way home. I was there for a couple more days afterwards. So I didn't really interface with Rick uh, or Sting or anybody very little, a little bit at the event. But again, you keep in mind, now you've got, you know, 
guys from from WCW who aren't necessarily fluent in Japanese, laying out matches and working with you know Japanese who aren't necessarily fluent in English or American version of English. So that that's a little busy at that time, and I wasn't involved in the creative uh, the the day of. You know, obviously knew what was going to happen in terms of finishes, but in terms of laying shit out, I wasn't a part of any of that. So I had very little interaction with mostly anybody other than new Japan office people who I was there, you know, watching with. So no, I didn't know about it till I got back. You ever pull back into your driveway after a trip to the grocery store only to realize you forgot that one key ingredient for dinner. Well, now you have options, get the groceries you need or a backup meal from your favorite local restaurant delivered with DoorDash. Get what you want to eat right now and right to your door with DoorDash. Along with the restaurants you love, you can now get your groceries and other essential items delivered with DoorDash. Get your drinks, your snacks, and other household items in under an hour. Maybe you're craving some late night ice cream. Maybe you forgot that one special thing for dinner, or maybe you just need to stock up for the week. With DoorDash, you get everything in one app. With over 300,000 partners, you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Popeye's or Chipotle or even the Cheesecake Factory. Ordering is easy, and your items can be left safely outside your door when you choose contactless delivery drop-off. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code WEEKS. That's 25% off up to a $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order. When you download the DoorDash app in the app store and enter the code weeks, don't forget that code is weeks for 25% off your first order with DoorDash subject to change terms apply. The observer had this to say for the past few weeks, problems had surfaced regarding roots tenure in WCW. At least some of the problems were brewing by late April, which made many question the decision to go along with the original plan of putting the international belt back on rude at the dome. Rude then missed house shows after the dome with back and neck injuries said to be suffered in the dome match against sting. Although rude has really been plagued by those injuries since late 92, which is probably the major reason to blame for his substantial drop in form since that point. Because of his big money contract rumored to be well in excess of 300 grand per year, the size of which needed to be corporately justified, guaranteeing he'd always be in a top position combined with his matches consistently being below par. There was much disgruntlement with his situation. Rude himself was unhappy and reportedly at one point requested being brought bought out of his deal like Jimmy Garvin in 92. There was also speculation Rude's injuries would lead him to sitting out for a lengthy period of time and collect on his Lloyds of London disability. As of press time, nothing regarding Rude's immediate future appeared to have been finalized and numerous possibilities exist. If Rude is through with the company, it appears that at the pay-per-view, they will announce the International Board of Governors reviewed the film from the dome match. And because of the distraction of Lady Love that led to the finish, that the title will be returned to sting. who would then defend the title against Vader at Slamboree. This will work out fine since it's a better match. Even if it's been done numerous times already on pay-per-view, most of those matches have been very good to great. If not the rude Vader match will take place as planned. The initial plan was for that match to have a disputed finish, perhaps a double count out and lead to flair versus Vader and rude versus sting at the clash of the champions 
with both belts at stake in both matches. If Rude appears at Slamboree and loses the title to Vader, that's probably a signal that that's his final WCW match. If he retains it, that's a signal everything's been worked out. So that leads us to, I think, where we're getting to with your big story. No, wait a minute. Before we do that, because you just laid a lot of stuff out there. Yes. All of it was based on bullshit and lies and distortion and fantasy booking from a childlike adult mind. Okay. You lost me. I was listening pretty carefully (laughs) right up until the point when Dave reported that there had to be justification from WCW to Turner Broadcasting that would that would suggest that Rick Rude would always be in a top spot. Like that was some kind of conditional representation by WCW to upper level Turner management. That is a lie. That is a fucking made up bunch of bullshit. There's not even anything close to that that had ever existed. There had been times when my predecessors would try to get money for certain talents and probably not be able to, but there was never a precedent or representation by anybody in WCW to anybody in Turner broadcasting that a certain talent would remain at a certain level in order to justify said salary. That was a, there was not one word of even remote word of truth to any of that. Therefore, everything that followed it, is garbage, garbage. One, and this is my issue with people like Dave Meltzer who write this shit, sell this shit, and do it in a way that makes people believe that he actually has information that's nothing more than inf- it's his, his infant-like baby wrestling mind. It's ridiculous. None of that is true. It's all we just wasted forty fucking minutes of time or twenty minutes of time talking about something that isn't true. So, uh, on the torch, they would report this Saturday, according to a report out of Orlando's worldwide TV tapings, rude handed over the WCW international title belt and quit wrestling due to his health and frustration with WCW rude is believed to have an insurance policy in case of injury, which much like fellow Minnesotans, Kurt Henning, Nikita Koloff and road warrior animal who have collected on policies in recent years. WCW deserves credit for learning from this experience as they have found to be true. What many predicted booking three months ahead of time is too stressful and risky. Given the volatile nature of the wrestling industry, (laughs) this week's tapings in Orlando, unlike the past two go arounds, they did not commit themselves to any major angles, which is good for their own sanity. Now there's a pretty famous story that's been whispered about or talked about. This whole rude handed over the WCW international title belt. Uh, you didn't tease that there was a trunk involved, but I did because I think that's the story. Is that the story? And can you fill in the blanks? I honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in a state of mental vertigo with regard to what, what all was going on at this particular time where rude and I met at, at the trunk of his car but it, I mean, I can, it was a very tense situation with Rude. And a lot of it had to do, once again, with Ric Flair. Don't know why. 
probably because Rick was the booker, <laughs> Flair, at the time. And there was inherent resentment or lack of trust or whatever. I can't, I don't know. Rick at the time was Flair, excuse me, rude. Rick Rude at the time was pretty miserable to deal with. I can assume there was a lot of reasons for it. Um, but he was less than cooperative and wasn't going to give the belt over. I think you know, he was supposed to turn it in at a booking meeting or a talent meeting or something in Orlando. Wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. Calls were made. Doug Dillinger called him. I eventually called him. He came down, and he was pissed. He was pissed. And, and I, I don't remember the verbiage, right, the exact verbiage. I could make some shit up and make you believe I remember it, but I actually, I don't. I'm going to shoot straight about this. Um, it came down to, if you want the belt, come and get it to me. And it was said in front of others <laughs> who were in the booking room. And people were genuinely not too sure where Rick's head was at because he was, he was in a tough spot mentally and emotionally. I'll go back to what I said earlier in the show. I just didn't think Rick, Rick Rude was going to shoot me. It's not like we were best friends. We weren't. We were friends, but eh, not that close. But I was pretty sure he wasn't going to shoot me. When he challenged me to come down and if I wanted the belt, come and get it. He left the room. I followed after him. I got down to his car. He opened up his truck. There was the belt underneath a loaded 45. <laughs> it was kind of like, well, this is weird. <laughs> Again, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't laughing it off. Trust me. I didn't want to upset him. I, I don't want to you know, suggest that I wasn't taking him seriously because he might make me take him seriously. And that would have escalated the situation. So I was, you know, as respectful as I could be, but I honestly wasn't afraid I was going to get shot. Um, he reached in, grabbed the gun, two, three, grabbed the belt with the other hand, handed it to me, put the gun back in the trunk, closed the trunk, and that was the end of it. But it was a moment. And that was in Orlando. Uh, hypothetically, do you think rude got one of those guns, uh, for four tickets to WCW? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is a good one. <laughs> Sting and rude have still been advertised for house shows, even though they're not going to be there. Uh, rude is hurt. Obviously sting is out filming thunder in paradise, but we're just lying to fans in both shows saying, oh, they missed their flight back from Japan. Uh, Meltzer would write backstage. Rude was still the biggest story. Rude was in Philadelphia, apparently because he wanted to fulfill his contractual obligations, even though he wouldn't be able to wrestle on the show because of the injury. While Rude was clearly working with an injury for more than a year, you'll hear a lot of skepticism about the severity of this injury that was supposedly, uh, the source at the dome. The idea being, we knew he was working hurt. But now with television cameras rolling and it's a big production and he's maybe not happy with his creative or his compensation or what have you, maybe this is just an excuse. And as with everything else in wrestling politics pop up quote, it came just days after rooted stated. He wouldn't put over flair Hogan or Vader. 
Apparently, the original idea for the July 17th pay-per-view was a tag match where Rude was going to do the job at the end. While we don't have details on the situation, Rude and Flair got into a serious argument in Philadelphia again, and Rude refused to do whatever he was supposed to do in regards to going out there when he was being stripped of the title, which is why it created yet another and a seemingly endless list of nonsensical angles that poor Nick Bockwinkle has been saddled with trying to pull off believably. Before the pay-per-view match, Bockwinkle announced the International Board of Directors had nullified the title change in Japan because Rude used the belt as a weapon and because he came off the top rope with a knee drop, which is a lame remnant of the Bill Watts era rulebook. Fans largely booed this and chanted ripoff. Sting then refused to accept the belt unless he could win it in the ring against Vader, which only slightly quelled the audience. I understand when something like this happens in wrestling that everybody sort of goes, Hmm, but the timing of the injury and the conversation, allegedly, I won't put over flair Hogan or Vader. Did you believe that? Especially since you were there at that show in Japan and you said, uh, I didn't really notice. Did you think that perhaps rude was unhappy with the creative and knew he had this Lloyd's of London thing? as all those Minnesota boys had cashed in and felt like this was his opportunity, or do you think it really was a legitimate injury? I think it was a legitimate injury. That was very convenient. Yes. A little bit of both. Because if you, you know, fast forward, Couple of years later, Rick Rude, after the Montreal screw job, Rick Rude calls me on my phone Sunday night. I'm sitting at home in Atlanta watching TV with my wife and kids, not watching WWE's pay per view, the Montreal screw job. I get a call from Rick Rude. He wants to come back, but he wants to come back and wrestle. So the injury had either healed up sufficiently or was never really that serious to begin with. But Rick had already taken a Lloyd's of London money. And once you do that, you can't undo that. You can't put that bullet back in the gun. Well, you can, but you have to, you have to pay back Lloyd's of London, the amount that you were paid under that, that insurance policy in order not to be legally in violation of that settlement agreement. So that's why I think it could have been a little bit of both. So the observer would get some more clarity. And they would say the problem between Flair and Rude at Slamboree is that Rude wanted to do an interview about losing the belt, where he would complain about being stripped because he won with the illegal means. Because when he lost the title to Sting, it was because Harley Race interfered. Flair didn't like that idea because he thought it would take legitimacy away from the Sting Vader match being for the belt. Since Rude's explanation actually made too much sense. And because it would get Rude over when there were no future plans for him. Flair had his own idea of what he wanted Rude to say. Rude didn't like it and walked out hours before the show. And of course, there are tons of rumors, even in the torch saying Rude's going to show up in the WWF. They're desperate for a new big name heel. Uh, even though the steroid trials coming up, people are not going to be surprised if he shows up there. The torch would chime in a few weeks later and say the rude Flair argument at Slamboree was said to have been dominated the time of the Flair Bischoff conversation. I guess you guys were trying to plan for the show, but in an effort to plan for the show, you wind up just talking about this argument and that the argument 
lasted 30 minutes before Rude stormed out. Do you remember the slambery argument with Flair and Rude, and, and were you involved in it at all? No. No. I mean, that sounds like a, uh, I've, I've never been in a 30 minute argument with anybody. Yeah. Where would that come from? Who was timing it? Who had the clock? What the fuck? No. Who, who would have suggested that to, to Dave or did Dave just make it up? Well, that never was never been in a 30 minute argument with anybody. That was Wade. Include or okay. Wade or including my wife. Never been in a 30 minute. I would get in an argument and I'll it's five minutes and then you're done. Yeah. And, and then I'm done. Yeah. Or I'll leave and think about it and come back and say, okay, I'm sorry. Or whatever. Or been locked in a room, having a 30 minute argument with anybody. I By don't the have way, that kind of page. I don't have that kind of patience. <laughs> the match happened, uh, where the injury happened on May 1st, it aired three weeks later. And so by the time it aired, everything that happened had been negated. And here's what Dave wrote. Who the hell is lady love? Same thing. You and I asked sting did a big dive over the top rope and rude landed with his back halfway on the platform and the other half on nothing. Since it was the edge of the platform, which looks like it could have hurt him badly. If rude, if rude claims an injury from that move, his case looks awfully good on tape, which I agree with. And ultimately uh, he returns or he's slated to return in September. It doesn't happen because he winds up filing a $630,000 lawsuit against WCW stemming from his departure and his injury. And uh, it's written in the observer. The reason he didn't go to the WWF is because he is actively collecting disability on his Lloyd's of London policy. And of course the lawsuit. So chat me up. How do you remember it coming to an end here with him and WCW? Let's take a quick break on that note. Okay. One minute, maybe two. Three, two. You know, uh, I, I don't remember how it all, I mean, I remember the incident. I remember it turning legal. And you have to understand in the position that I was in, once something went to legal, once there was litigation involved, I couldn't participate unless I was, you know, being deposed or, or something, you know, I had no conversation. I couldn't have a conversation with Rick rude. That would have been inappropriate. Once somebody pulls the legal trigger, then it's only the, the attorneys that are engaged in conversation and anything else I would have done behind the scenes would have been inappropriate. Um, so Got to legal lawsuits filed. I'm out. I'm done. Some something phenomenal happened. Uh, November 28th center stage. There's a series of tapings that are going to air on like the 10th, the 17th and the 24th of December. When all of a sudden Kurt Henning and Rick rude show up unannounced and they're wearing suits and ties. They sit in the crowd. Security is keeping fans away from them. And between matches, this is from the torch. WCW vice president, Eric Bischoff came out and shook hands with them as if he had not talked to them and did not know they were coming. Tony Schiavone also said hello to them during a break. Eventually ring announcer, uh, Gary Capetta announced their presence to the crowd. They signed autographs and were cordial. This may or may not actually appear on camera when the taping airs, but the last we heard. Rude was suing WCW for making him wrestle despite knowing he was injured and causing further damage, causing him to lose salary. Henning was said not to have come to terms with WCW when they wanted him to be Ric Flair's 
masked man and face Hulk Hogan at Starcade. The idea being these guys simply showed up to cause a ruckus. And I love this. I, I mean, I know that years later, Enzo showed up at a WWF pay-per-view and was hidden, but across from the hard cam and in the second row and tried to make a spectacle of himself, but where everything in wrestling is what's real and what's a work. The idea that these guys just showed up and sat in the crowd and you came out and acknowledged them. That's pretty fucking cool. What do you remember about this? Very little, you know, I remember it happening, but it was not a major, you know, creative decision. And there wasn't a lot of discussion about it. I, I, like if you wouldn't have brought it up, I don't think it would have ever crossed my mind that it even happened. So it was just a moment. It was a way to get people talking in the, in the newsletters and the hotlines. And yeah, it was just a little, you know, I hate to even call it a stunt, but it's really, it was a promotional stunt, but it wasn't something that was designed to be, you know, a pivot point or, or, or an inciting moment or incident to launch a story from. It was just, Hey, yeah, cool. This will be fun. Let's do this. See what happens. Well, that's what we did today. We wanted to do this and see what happens. Of course, we're not done with the Rick Rude story. We've still got to talk about when Rick Rude came back in main wrestling history as part of the NWO. But before he did, boy, he had some controversial statements that we're going to be sure to talk about next time here on the show. Uh, Eric, I don't know that you'll recall this because, well, you had a lot of other stuff going on. But I do want to mention, because it just tickled me that and this is a different era. You know, the internet was really in its infancy at the time. Uh, it's not like it is these days, but Rick Rude would find himself in 1996 before he's with the WWF before he's even flirting with WCW. He's still on the outside looking in and he does a, an appearance on America online back when that was a thing. I guess it still is according to Bruce Pritchard's email, but he had comments about Hulk Hogan quote. I never had that high of an opinion on Hulk because I feel he's taken more from the business than he's given. When he was asked about Eric Bischoff, he says, quote, I have a picture in my mind that I can't seem to bring words to explain. I don't know legally what I can say online, but I know that in my opinion, Eric Bischoff is lower than snake shit. Not half as pretty. I love that. I'm not sure what I can say here. So let me insult him in curse. Tremendous. And, uh, we're going to continue our story on Rick rude part two. At some point in the future, we're going to talk about that famous moment where he showed up on nitro and he was already on a taped raw. We'll talk about, I believe there was a, another story you have that unfortunately happened after Rick had passed a lot more to unpack on Rick rude. But I think as far as breaking down what happened in his first run in WCW, we covered it about as thoroughly as we could today, dude. I really enjoyed it. It brought back a lot of memories and, uh, you know, it's, it, it was, it was an amazing time in the industry, but that the story behind Rick rude and his involvement in WCW is interesting. Not only because, you know, Rick was somebody that I, I, I respected, you know, and I considered a friend, uh, but man, talk about the, one of the more, we were right on the precipice of doing something really big. Yeah. You know, and even, even before nitro and, and, and all of that, there was a sense of momentum 
during this period of time. And when, when you're in a wrestling office or I'll, I'll just, I'll say this better in the position that I was in, in the situation that WCW was in and the fact that we around this era with recruit, we're just beginning to actually start to build a little bit of momentum only raised everybody's temperature, good and bad. And I think what we've covered about Rick is both the good and the bad with Rick Rude, both the good and the bad, because it, the stakes got a lot higher and the emotions got more tense and the story kind of reflects that. Next week, we're going to be switching gears. We're going to talk about final resolution, 2011. It's Rob Van Dam and Christopher Daniels. It's Robbie E and Eric Young. It's Crimson and Matt Morgan taking on D'Angelo De Niro and Devon. We've got uh, Austin Aries and Kid Cash, Gail Kim and Mickey James, James Storm and Kurt Angle. Then Jeff Hardy taking on Jeff Jarrett in a steel cage match. But then in the main event, after we just talked about it earlier, an Iron Man match <laughs> between Bobby Roode and AJ Styles. I don't know that you're going to love this show as much as you enjoyed our Rick Rude show today, but that's what we're doing next week, Eric. And then in two weeks, we'll be doing a watch along from the go home episode of nitro right before Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan hooked it up at Starcade 96. We'll round out the year talking about Goldberg's 1999. Uh, and then at some point after the first of the year, or maybe as a bonus in there somewhere, we'll, we'll put a bow on Rick Rude with Rick Rude part two. Uh, this was a fun episode, man. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to a strong finish to the year. We've got new year's Eve right around the corner. And, and we know now that Alabama is going to be playing Cincinnati. Georgia is going to be playing Michigan. And before we clicked record today, you've told me that you've actually been watching more college football. What's your prediction in the playoffs? Get on the record. Now who will win Alabama or Cincinnati? You've got me brother. And I watched a little bit of the Cincinnati game the other day. You you've got me. I'm hooked. I'm a, I'm a roll tide some bitch now. Um, you've, I never thought it would, I never thought I'm 66 freaking years old and I've never been interested in college football until you came along in my life. I sent you a text yesterday, letting you know what I was reading and what I was doing simultaneously while I was watching Alabama on television on a Saturday afternoon. Never in my life have I been a fan of college football, more or less Alabama football, but hence here I am. What the hell? <laughs> I, I concur, Eric. Alabama's going to beat Cincinnati. But the other game, now here's where you got to put your thinking cap on. You going with Michigan and Harbaugh and Rick Flair? Or are you going with Kirby Smart and Georgia and, well, Rick Flair? Because he says both are his favorite teams. So who knows? Rick's a hoe. Rick is just a hoe. His favorite team is whoever will fly him in and let him down on the sidelines to woo himself up a good time. That's who he's, that's who he's rooting for. I'm going for Georgia, not for go. any other reason that I watched them play yesterday. And they did play a pretty good game. Yes. Despite the fact that they lost, I thought going into that first quarter, or actually I thought during the first quarter that, huh, after the struggle I saw Alabama have last time I watched him play where they went into like 72 fucking overtimes. I thought, man, this Georgia team's tougher than people give them credit for. And yes, they lost yesterday, but I can't wait to see them watch or see them play Michigan. And we'll see who Rick, can you imagine Rick Flair? He's going to be running back and forth across the field, both sides of the bench. <laughs> He's going to keep his bases covered, brother, because, whoa, that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love you for that. He's turned more times in the big show. He is the nature boy. And by the way, he's got a podcast. Now the rumor and innuendo is that him and Mark Madden are having a good time. And Lord knows I am here talking to you about Rick rude, looking forward to next week, final resolution, 2011. And it's going to be a great, strong finish to the year here on 83 weeks. Hope you guys will check us out on adfreeshows.com. You get all these shows early and ad free. And, uh, you just did a whole locked and loaded thing. I think we've got some, uh, some mean tweet receipts coming up. And right now is an excellent time to join the ad free shows family. You can sign up and do an annual, or you can gift a subscription to the wrestling fan in your life. Probably the best value in wrestling right now. Wouldn't you agree, Eric? Absolutely. I mean, the amount of content, I mean, you're the amount of content that the team, the entire team that's contributing over at adfreeshows.com. I can't keep up with it for sure. I can't keep up with it. I mean, you're just talk about over delivering, uh, particularly when it comes to value, you'll never find anything like, you know, some of the conversations with Conrad, things that you've done are really important with regard to the history of wrestling, but there's also the fun stuff, you know, like the mean tweets and other things that we do. Tony Schiavone's a blast. He's funny as hell entertaining to watch anything that Tony does on adfreeshows.com. It's just a blast and you know, for the dollar, I don't think there's a better value in sports entertainment. Check it out. Adfreeshows.com. Until next time he is at E Bischoff. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. We are at 83 weeks on Twitter and we're also out of time. See you next week, right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.